Hey folks, it's Cody Stoffer with Playmakers Corner, here to tell you about Code Red Coaching. Competing in athletics means you've lifted the weights, you've watched film, and you've got the passion. Problem is, that's what everyone else in the state has done. Perfect your game by honing in on your mental performance with Code Red Coaching. Whether you are a team or an individual, Code Red Coaching has the tools to create mentally solid habits and set up you or your team for success. Find Code Red Coaching at coderedcoaching.com or call 720-979-1914 to learn more today. That's coderedcoaching.com or 720-979-1914 today. Now back to the show. Howdy y'all and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Cody Stoffer. And boy, do we have a jam-packed episode for y'all as we did have the first round of playoffs on 1, 2, 4, and 5A. And we also had the final week of the regular season for 3A where we had league champions and we figured out who those 16 teams are going to be for their playoffs here. It'll be very exciting. And um, yeah, we're just going to kind of go through this here as we normally do, starting off with Thursday scores and recaps. So the first thing I'm going to talk about, because I went to a 3A league game, I'm going to talk about the playoff games that happened on Thursday night. And so the very first one, actually, that I'm going to talk about is Legend versus Pooter. I believe this was the 15 and the 18 seed or something along those lines here. And the winner of this would go on to face Valor Christian. And Legend here, they jump out to a 22 to nothing lead here on the heels of, you know, just, I mean, they were just dominating on all sides of the ball. Obviously, they had this lead going into halftime and you have stalwart performances from like Alex Martinez, who had 170 rushing yards and also freshman Riken Banks here having 10 carries for 87 yards here. Alex getting those three touchdowns, but still this rushing attack was clicking here over the course of the game, and they had to because this passing attack was struggling quite a bit. Uh, sophomore Nick Fairley only completing 25% of his passes. This was a very snowy night, so please keep that in mind. And that is also reflected in the fumbles here. They had a couple of lost fumbles, but you know, they had young guys step up. I mean, Riken Banks with over 100 yards of scrimmage, just an incredible playoff debut and we had quite a few of those from freshmen more of that to come but I mean Pooter here they rallied in that fourth quarter here and scored 15 points and they even had a chance to tie this game up and were driving down before legend eventually stopped them here and I mean this legend team was popping off you know 16 tackles for loss that's headlined partially by Gavin Taylor who's a senior who had four of those tackles for loss Billy McGucklin had or McGuckin had four of those tackles for loss and you know Cam Morrison he had 12 total tackles which led the entire team and three tackles for loss so and the Pooter offensive line definitely struggled as far as pass protection goes six total sacks listed here and you know there was also a few blocked punts by legend so you know they were winning in the offensive side of the game they were winning in the special team side of the game if you win two facets of the game that is more than likely going to win you this football game and that's exactly what happened here and yeah you know uh Caden Smith he was able to put the ball through the uprights a uh, couple of times here on those PATs but uh Alex Martinez really being the difference maker here in Legends win as they advance after beating Pooter 22 to 15 and shout out to that Titans defense who did hold Pooter at the end there and then major upset alert here in the 20 seed versus the 13 seed of Rocky Mountain versus Mountain Vista 
that is exactly what the final score was. This game was very, very slow up until the fourth quarter. It was six to six heading into the fourth quarter here. So that was pretty crazy. And then, you know, a little bit of back and forth here. Rocky Mountain, they get an interception to end the third quarter, basically, but then they have to punt and Rocky Mountain gets another interception right at the end of the third quarter. And that would actually be a drive that they would capitalize off of and score and take a 12 to six lead. Then with nine minutes to go, Rocky Mountain recovered a fumble by Mountain Vista and they would score on that drive as well, giving them a 20 to six lead after a two point conversion. You know, Mountain Vista, they get into the red zone with about five minutes to go. They complete a touchdown pass here and they're down 20 to 13 here with about four minutes to go. But, you know, Rocky Mountain, they turn over, they, Rocky Mountain eventually has the ball and lose possession, turnover on downs, but Mountain Vista just doesn't have enough time. They're under a minute here and Rocky Mountain intercepts a pass here to seal this game. And if you can't tell, you know, I don't have specific names, players or stats here, but Rocky Mountain forced a ton of turnovers this game. They forced four turnovers, three interceptions, and a fumble recovery, and they managed to score off of a handful of those opportunities. That's going to be a huge difference here. Once again, this was a very snowy game, but if you're a passing team like Vista, you either have to be balanced on offense or you have to be able to still pass the ball in the conditions. This is the Rocky Mountain State. It does get snowy. Um, you could even argue that November is a later time to snow, and I just don't think Mountain Vista was quite at that level. You know, this uh, running game only had 4.3 yards per carry over the course of this game. And I mean, just the turnovers were obnoxious. And Rocky Mountain advances with the upset. This is actually not a game that any of us at the pod here chose. And so shout out to Rocky Mountain for proving us wrong behind a stellar performance up front, obviously, for you know that defensive contain and whatnot. And then obviously on offense, being able to capitalize and clutch this game at the very end, scoring those 14 points in the fourth quarter here. Now for the other part of Thursday's games, I'm gonna talk about the 3A teams and how that impacted the playoff picture here. So sneaking in here to the postseason, at the number 16 seed is Discovery Canyon. They finished the season with a seven and three record following a win last week over Pueblo East, who did make the postseason, and a win this week over Sand Creek. They win this game 20 to six and get the number 16 seed in the playoffs where they will face Roosevelt. More on the 3A bracket later, however, we are going to keep rolling here. And in other news, Pueblo East did get to play here and they sealed the number 14 spot with a 24 to 14 win over Crosstown Pueblo County. Pueblo East in this game, you know, just like everywhere else, really hard to move the ball, but uh, you know, get an edge here by forcing five interceptions on Pueblo County sophomore quarterback Cohen Glenn here. It was a feast of interceptions. Daniel Badillo had two interceptions. Mr. Freeman had two interceptions. Brennan Rowe had an interception. And Zach Madrill even had two pass deflections. Gabriel Garcia recovered a fumble. And Thomas Wilson was forcing fumbles. It was just a really slippery ball for Pueblo County here. And I mean, lots of, you know, Freeman 
both of his interceptions were taken to the house. And so you look at that, that's the difference in this game. This was a two-score game, 24 to 14 Pueblo East. And those turnovers, I mean, Pueblo County for turning the ball over six times to be within 10 points is kind of insane. But, you know, Pueblo East, they live to see another day and they have secured the 14th seed in the postseason. Other than that, you know, I mean, Canyon City beat Mitchell, but neither of those teams are going to the postseason. But in some 3A playoff news, Holy Family does beat Kennedy 36-6 to here. Not, you know, a little kind of bit of a mixed bag here from the quarterback performance from the Tigers here. But on the ground, they get it done as a team running for 223 yards and four touchdowns. Rylan Cooney running for three of those touchdowns, might I add. And uh, obviously, Anderson Osborne, the uh, sophomore standout with a receiving, touch in, receiving touchdown on the night. Holy Family secures a spot in the postseason. They are going to be your number seven seed and will face actually the winner of this game that I'm about to do a full recap on. All right, folks. So on Thursday night, I attended the George Washington versus Frederick Golden Eagles game. This game would decide the league champion as heading into this game, George Washington was 8-1 and one, and Frederick was 7-2. and two. If Frederick wins, they would have both been 8-2 and two, and Frederick would have had the head-to-head. -head. And if George Washington won, they would have the better record and the head-to-head, -head, which would give George Washington the dub. And so this game, it was snowing so much. At one point, I had multiple inches of snow piled on top of my hood. I couldn't feel my toes, but at least Frederick and George Washington delivered an instant classic Maybe one of the best games of football I've ever seen in my life. And it was quintessential Colorado football. If you don't follow us on TikTok, you have to go check out Playmakers Corner on TikTok and see the highlights from this game. It was coming down in case you were unaware. And it just produced an insanely great game. But so you have the you have the story now. You have the setup. And this is for the 3A League 6 chip here in the last week of the 3A regular season. And so to start, Frederick has the ball and they get a couple of runs that result in two first downs before and underneath sweep and tosses are swallowed up, forcing a fourth and 14. But the punter takes off and gets a first down to the other 45 yard line. You know, this is a deep snap for a punt here. And it's one of those rugby style punts where he's reading, he's reading, and he just takes off and gets a big first down here. This is the first of many fourth down conversions for this Golden Eagles team that would continue to frustrate the Patriots defense along the night. But there's a run for another first down here. And then there's a screen pass to Cruz Zamudio on fourth and left. 4th and 11, so they force them to 4th and 11 here. They do a play action, roll out right, throw back screen left, and that works for a first down. Not only a first down, but it sets up first and goal. The Golden Eagles then run to the 2 on a keeper, and George Washington uses their first timeout at 3 minutes and 46 seconds left in the first. And yes, you heard that right. Frederick had the ball this entire time. Just run, 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 run. A uh, small pass, maybe an incomplete pass once or twice here. But really, I mean, in the snow, this is Frederick's bread and butter. They run that wing T offense that Matt Lloyd loves so much. And, you know, this crawls them down the field and it eats up clock. I mean, nine minutes are gone of this first quarter before George Washington even gets to touch the football. So 
yeah, on this, you know, they <laughs> they use their timeout, George Washington does. They're trying to get a goal line stand here, and they eventually force a fourth and one. But for the third time on the drive, the Golden Eagles convert. And if you're on fourth and one on the goal line, that means that you got a touchdown. This was a toss um, that, well, actually the toss got the first down because it was like first and goal, but like it was on the one. But then, um, well, that scores. And then there's a quarterback keeper that reaches the pylon for the two point conversion. And the Eagles are up 8-0 with 2 minutes and 8 seconds in the first. George Washington starts the ball on their own 39-yard line with 2 minutes and 8 seconds. And Markevious Lee is gashing the Eagles' defense on this drive. And George Washington is just running the ball very, very well here. They eventually get set up on 4th and inches on the 41. And that would end the first quarter. And so at the start of the second quarter, they hand off to Lee for a first down. And then on the very next play, they hand off to Lee, who has a first down as well. But this was a, you know, backfield committee approach by both teams because, I mean, it was just super hard to pass the football. And so then you get David, ah, I don't know if I'm going to be saying this wrong, Yahi here, who gets a couple of carries. He gets a first down on the first one. He gets stuffed on the next one. And so they're on the 15-yard line going in when they do a, you know, fake handoff, like a counter left, basically. And Lee breaks left and hurdles a defender and stumbles into the end zone. George Washington kicks the PAT and is down 7-8 to eight here. Now, Frederick, they have a ball on their own 20-yard line with nine and a half minutes. And, you know, they're doing their wing tee thing and drive eventually all the way to a 43-yard line before they do a toss left and the ball is not caught on the toss, very slippery, and so they just kind of fall on it, and that sets up a fourth and four. However, on this play, they are in shotgun, and they run a play action, and George Washington bites hard on this play action, and the quarterback, who is number 12, Gavin Ishmael, he finds his guy, number 22, Cruz Zamudio, who had just an incredible game, incredible season as well. He finds Cruz Zamudio, who catches it just over the safety and takes it the rest of the way to the house for a 46-yard touchdown. This was like a seam throw, basically, right over the safety, just barely. It was caught out about the 30-yard line and taken the rest of the way. Now, the two-point conversion is no good, and Frederick has a 14-7 lead here with about three, with just a hair under four minutes left in the second quarter here. So the Patriots with the ball on their own 40-yard line. The very first play, they have an ineligible receiver downfield that forces first and 15 on the 35, where they get a five-yard run. And then they get a first down run to the 49-yard line by Markevious Lee. That's before Marcellus Honeycutt Jr. hits the Jets and splits the safeties and scores, tying this game up. Now, Frederick, they will have a chance to score, especially because they get a huge kickoff return to the opposing 45-yard line with 2 minutes and 14 seconds left in the half. They do a run left for a first down, but a flag for holding brings it back and forces first and 14 at the 49-yard line here. They do a swing right to number 8, but a personal foul, which is called a late hit out of bounds, puts the ball all the way at the 23-yard line. They have a couple of run plays here before third and one with 23 seconds left. Frederick here takes a timeout. They get a first down run 
to the one, and with nine seconds remaining, they take their second time out of the half, and they punch it in to number 11, I want to say, was the like fullback running back here, Kamarly Davey here. He gets his touchdown, and Frederick goes up 22 to 14 at half. Now, it is George Washington's ball to start the half. They get it on the 35-yard line. They eventually get into a fourth and four situation, but they get a handoff here that powers ahead for the first down. And then Markevious Lee gets a handoff that goes all the way to the opposing 47-yard line. But on the next play, a pass is intercepted by this Frederick defense. On the interception is number three, Tegan Bowen here, who takes it to about midfield. And now Frederick has a chance here to go up two scores to start the second half. And so Frederick Ball, they get a run that goes all the way to the opposing 30-yard line. So a big run here. And then they get stuffed on the next play before a play action pass finds its intended receiver all the way inside the 10-yard line. The first play is a stuff, but then Cruz Zamudio gets in for the score. And with 5 minutes and 52 seconds left, Frederick kicks a PAT here instead and goes up 29-14. to 14. That is kind of a big deal here because if it was 16, it would have been two two-point conversions. But, you know, there are some short runs by George Washington on this ensuing drive before a big Marcellus Honeycutt Jr. run that pulls this game 20-29 to 29 with 3 minutes and 49 seconds left in the third. Marcellus Honeycutt Jr. stepping up big time in this game and just going absolutely ballistic. And, you know, the crazy thing about this, and I'll talk more about it at the end in possession time, is that Frederick ran 79 plays in this game. George Washington only ran 32. And, I mean, this game is just just so high scoring as we get near the end of this game. But Frederick, they have the ball on their own 22 to start the ensuing drive with three and a half minutes in the third quarter. And after a few tackle for losses, a Frederick Belly tackle left gets to the 36 yard line for a first down and then Cruz gets a run all the way to the 46 setting up a third and five Frederick takes a timeout here and they have a run short that sets up fourth and two then Frederick takes another timeout with two seconds left in the third quarter and then George Washington number 53 for the Patriots that is Fred Scott here he's a junior he swallows up the run and forces a turnover on downs to end the third quarter. Now, George Washington with the ball on the opposing 44-yard line gets a big run from Marcellus Honeycutt Jr. that goes all the way to the one-yard line, and then they punch it in on the very next play with Markevious Lee, who brings the score within 27-29 to with 11-12 left in this quarter. Now, Frederick, they get the ball on the 20-yard line, and number 60 on George Washington swallows up a third down run and forces fourth and four eventually. But this is where things get a little dicey, honestly, because on this drive, they the Golden Eagles punt, right? And George Washington gets a maybe a slight fingertip on this ball while punting it, but this takes place in the backfield. And so that is not a muffed punt for anyone who's curious. And so after the tip, the punt kind of, you know, barrels a little bit and it rolls all the way 
to, you know, George Washington territory, Frederick recovers and it is ruled George Washington football. However, the Frederick coach, Mr. Lloyd, talks to the refs for what feels like five minutes. It's a long time for this conversation to be happening. I'm not sure what was said, but the refs actually change their ruling. Chassa, you should really look into this, specifically this Frederick sideline. They change their ruling and give Frederick possession on the 40-yard line going in. So not only, and by the way, for those who don't know, unless it's touched again after a tip or a block, it is not a live ball. It is just a punt. That is that is an exact rule, all right? But, however, it is not ruled that way in this game. And, yeah, that's... <laughs> it's absolute madness happens in the stands. The worst part is that Frederick eventually scores on this drive, and they go up 36-27. to 27. Honestly, this was a joke. These refs were... I thought that they were doing just a fine time until this moment. And then the experience of Matt Lloyd and his sway in the state kind of reared its ugly head. And I really don't like that. I already have spoken on my opinions on Matt Lloyd in the past, but this really just left a sour taste in my mouth because Frederick goes up 36 to 27. But on the ensuing kickoff, Honeycutt says, I don't need the refs. And George Washington says, I don't need the refs. They get some excellent blocking and Honeycutt for the multiple time tonight here takes this kick all the way to the house here. Just an incredible kickoff return. He had 143 total kickoff returns or kickoff return yards on the night. This was a 91 yard return to put them in this position here. And Frederick, they get the ball back with six and a half minutes left. And they drive. They're running their wing tee. The stands are hating it right now because they feel like, and it's starting to feel like, hey, George Washington probably just got shoot out of this game because Frederick drives all the way into George Washington territory and even gets inside the 20-yard line under three minutes here. So they're eating up a lot of clock. They have the lead. It feels like they're about to make this a two-score game with probably under two minutes left. But... Here's the thing. Men lie, women lie, people lie. But you know what doesn't lie, folks? The ball, the ball don't lie. <coughs> the ball does not lie. It never has and it never will. And this is proof right here. Because Frederick, with the ball inside of the 20-yard line with 2 minutes and 35 seconds left, fumbles the snap. And this ball is being kicked around by all the linemen. It can't be scooped up by any of the tailbacks or the quarterbacks. It's just spiraling in this swollen, snowy mess, right? It's super slick. George Washington finally dives on it with two and a half minutes left in this football game. Now, with the ball, they hand off to Celis Honeycutt, who gains nine yards. And then on the very next play, rips off his long of the night, a 78-yard touchdown run that puts George Washington ahead, 41 
to 36. And they're up with 153 left in this game. Frederick, they get the ball on the next drive. And it doesn't get much better than this. Frederick down 36 to 41. Crazy back and forth game. George Washington has scored 21 points in this fourth quarter to finally have the lead for the first time all night. It is still absolutely dropping snow everywhere. There's inches and inches on the field. It's gathered up. It's slippery. It's precipitating. It's Colorado football at its absolute finest with the league on the line and with playoff seating implications very, very heavy in this game. Now, the George Washington defense stiffens up here and forces Frederick into a third and six situation before an absolute prayer is heaved down the field to Cruz Zamudio, who makes another massive reception that basically flips fields from the 30 to the opposing 30, more or less here. It just lands right in his breadbasket, and now Frederick has the ball on the other side of the field within striking distance, but without many timeouts to spare. For some reason, they've been using their timeouts very early in this fourth quarter, and they only have one left. And so they get up to the line of scrimmage, they run a jet sweep right, and they get tackled inbounds, not for a first down, and they have to use their last timeout with 20 seconds left. And on second down, they have an incomplete pass. On third down, it's like third and six, I want to say. They have another incomplete pass, and there's a serious pass rush on this third down that forces this ball to sail over the head here. And then on fourth down and six, with 10 seconds left in this game, Gavin Ishmael gets the snap out of shotgun, drops back, looks right. He likes what he sees on his receiver. He throws it. It's a little high here, but the George Washington defender makes an incredible, and I mean incredible, break on the ball and jumps up with the receiver to high point it and smacks it away, bringing the Frederick receiver down and giving George Washington possession with two seconds left where they come out in victory formation and Neil, and they are crowned your 3A League Six champions. As mentioned in the Holy Family segment, George Washington gets the 10 seed and will face Holy Family here coming up on the 12th. I believe that's Saturday at 1 p.m. That will be at Holy Family is the home team that is. And then Frederick, they get dealt the 11 seed here and will face Summit on Friday night. Here's a few takeaways from the game. Look, George Washington, their fourth down defense was atrocious. They allowed so many fourth down conversions to this Frederick team, and it started with a punt on like fourth and 15 that they ran for a first down. That is inexcusable, but at the end of the day, Marcellus Honeycutt Jr. is maybe the best player in all of 3A football, and he showed it. Look, 11 carries, 300 yards, four touchdowns. He also had the kickoff return touchdown. He had five of G-dubs, six total touchdowns. Markevious Lee also putting on a very solid show going 12 for 77 yards and a touchdown. He was definitely their battering ram throughout this game. And then as mentioned, David Yahi, the sophomore, does get a couple of handoffs here. But, you know, for Frederick here, there's not even like 
I don't know how you could be super sad about this game. Look, River Lakey had 65 yards. Kamarly Davey had 68 yards, two scores. Cruz Zamudio proved, even though his rushing average wasn't the best, you know, he still had two rushing touchdowns. And then through the air, he had four receptions for 139 yards and a touchdown. He is still their best offensive weapon. It's not even close. And, you know, this Frederick team was in a great position. They were in the ideal position to win this game. They were given the ball on the 40-yard line going in. They had a two-score lead. Their special teams lets them down in a major way by allowing this Celis Honeycutt Jr. And then, you know, fumble. They literally fumble this game away. They ran over twice as many plays as George Washington. And, I mean, the penalty difference wasn't too bad. Frederick had five penalties for 23 yards. George Washington had one penalty for five yards. Pretty inconsequential when you look at the entirety of the game. And then Frederick had 17 first downs to only G-Dub's 10. And Gavin Ishmael played a solid game. Look, his completion percentage wasn't necessarily the best, but he still threw for 162 yards and a touchdown to no interceptions. That touchdown pass to Cruz Zamudio on fourth down early in the game was massive to just how competitive and back and forth this game was going to be. That was, you know, one of the earlier scores here and, you know, would give Frederick that lead that they would claw and hold on to until the fourth quarter here where this defense just could. There was no answers to Marcellus Honeycutt Jr. Like Markevious Lee was even averaging six yards per carry and that felt, you know, demoralizing. But Marcellus, his big playability and ability to average 27 yards a carry it that was legit it was like every other time he got a handoff he was going to probably score that's what it felt like and when you look at the numbers it almost adds up to that because i mean he had 14 total touches in this game and five touchdowns total so he put on a show look whoever was going to win their best athlete was going to be named my player of the game and probably playmaker of the week honestly and so you know cruz zamudio and the golden eagles they fought here but they fall just short despite, you know, some very interesting refereeing calls falling their way here. Um, but George Washington, they persevere. They make the big plays when it absolutely matters. And, you know, this defense steps up big time when they need to. Uh, Jarai Vaughn, number 58, on the defensive line with 18 tackles. Jude Marino with 17 tackles, number 60. As mentioned before, number 53, Fred Scott put on a show. And number 58, Drive Vaughn. This is a player to watch uh, just in general. He's a senior, but at the tackle slash guard position, the way he pulled, he had a handful of pancakes in this game as well. And so he is a player that we are going to take a look at for, you know, some offensive line listen for some all playmaker teams. But George Washington, they're your 3A League six champs. And they pull this one out 41 to 36. And like I said, we'll be facing Holy Family. Frederick faces Summit. These two teams, they'll have a couple of games to play, but they could re-meet in the semifinals. And I think that that would be a glorious game to be able to watch if it were to go that way. But if anything, this should let you know that in the words of Coach V, quote, 3A is going to be a bloodbath, end quote. And it absolutely is. I'm super excited to go over the brackets following the weekly score recaps. And uh, we'll talk playoff predictions later. But that does it for the Thursday score recaps. And for Friday, because I was able to go to a playoff game on Friday, I'm actually going to flip it around a little bit here. And I am going to talk about the 3A games on Friday and how that impacted the playoff picture here. 
Green Mountain with a big win over Skyview, 56 to 18, securing the number five seed in the playoffs. Summit and Durango are both the benefactors of forfeit wins, essentially giving them buys for the playoffs. Summit, the number six seed. Durango, the number two seed in 3A here. In other 3A news, Harrison whoops down on Sierra, 49 to six, and snags the number 15 seed in the postseason here. Moving on to other 3A action, Northridge beats Severance 27-19. Shout out to the Hoffman brothers who've had a spectacular season to this point and will be returning to try and get the Silver Knights into the playoffs next year. Northridge here securing the number four seed in the postseason. Pueblo South beats Pueblo Central, putting the nail in the coffin that the Central Wildcats will not be in the postseason here. Lutheran beats Fort Morgan 37-0 and is the number three seed in the 3A playoffs. In a little bit of a surprise, Thompson Valley really whoops down on Resurrection Christian here. 41-6, putting Resurrection Christian at the number 12 seed, being ready to face Green Mountain in the postseason, and giving Thompson Valley the 8th seed, where they will face the number 9 seed Evergreen Cougars, who won the Mountain Bowl to end their regular season over... I wouldn't say cross town, more like cross mountain rival Conifer, 41 to zero. Palisade here beats Glenwood Springs, 42 to eight. And as I mentioned in my preseason breakdown of Palisade here, strength of schedule at four and six could get them into the playoffs. That's exactly what happened here. Since, you know, their losses are to Roosevelt, 4A Grand Junction Central, who was a playoff team. They lost to Delta, but that is the one seed in 2A. And then they lost to Montrose, who is the five seed in 4A, before beating Golden, who is a 12 seed in 4A. And, I mean, they lost to Summit, who is the sixth seed. They lost to Durango, who's the two seed, only by seven points. And then Glenwood Springs was the number 16 seed here. If they win, they were in, but they lose to Palisade here and, and five and five and will be watching from the couch here. Palisade, obviously, doing their thing on the ground here. Tyrus Despain, actually a senior tailback, goes for 141 yards and three touchdowns. Phelan Salvati here, 141 yards and a score. Malachi Espinosa, two of four for 24 yards, but on the ground, nine carries, 53 yards, a score. And Rhett Ward, the other senior here, 11 carries, 64 yards and a score. Palisade looking like a tough out in 3A potentially. And then Northfield here, they were at 15 according to the max preps rankings here, and they beat Lincoln 36-0. They will just narrowly not make the playoffs here in their very first season, and that makes for a, well, oh yeah, and other news, Roosevelt wins, duh, and they finish their season undefeated, and as the number one seed in the 3A postseason. I'm trying to see if any of these other teams played on Saturday. I don't think that they did, so that should be the entire 16 seed teams. Like I said, we will go over our brackets here later in the show, but for now, some more Friday score recaps. So in playoff action, it was a wild Friday, plenty of upsets to go around and plenty of great games to talk about here. We're going to start first off in 1A with this first matchup, Colorado Springs Christian going to Buena Vista here. I want to say this was the 13 and the 5 or something along those lines here. Really cold and windy here in Buena Vista tonight. And that is the update that we have here. And so the scoring doesn't happen until the second quarter with nine minutes where Tam Flowers of BV kicks a 42-yard field goal. 
But Colorado Springs Christian, with six minutes to go in the second quarter, they actually complete a pass for a touchdown and take a 7-3 lead here that will last until halftime. Now, Colorado Springs, they increase their lead here with a rushing touchdown with nine minutes to go and also complete a two-point conversion to take a 15-3 lead with nine minutes to go here. But down but not out for the Buena Vista Demons, Hayden Camp completes a 43-yard touchdown pass that puts the score back to 15-10 here. And Colorado Springs Christian with five minutes to go in the third quarter drive, and they pick up a couple of first downs here before Caleb Camp gets an interception on the five-yard line with one minute to go in the third quarter, down 15-10. to 10. And so Buena Vista would start with the ball under a minute in the fourth quarter or in the third quarter. They'd end up with a fourth down and they would have to punt back to Colorado Springs Christian. So they kill a scoring drive potentially, but don't score themselves. Now, eventually, Buena Vista gets the ball back with about five minutes left in this game. And they drive all the way inside the red zone here. And Hayden Camp punches in the two-yard rushing touchdown and the two-point conversion with under a minute left to give Buena Vista the 18-15 lead here. Now, Colorado Springs Christian, they start with the ball on their own 33-yard line. And they get a first down in under a minute. Then they get another first down, setting them up inside of Buena Vista's 10-yard line just like that. And they finally... Get a touchdown here with under a minute to go. And they pull off the upset, winning 21-18 to and getting a dub here. In this game, you know, this defense does force an interception. The Colorado Springs Christian defense does. But Buena Vista also intercepts Velasquez three times here. So... A pretty solid performance of a night from the Buena Vista defense. Just not quite enough compared to this Colorado Springs Christian defense that collected 11 tackles for loss, two sacks, and an interception. Just constantly harassing the Buena Vista passing attack all night. Hayden Camp obviously trying to do the most here, leading this team with 40 yards rushing. But on the night, the Demons only with 1.9 yards per carry. That would not be enough for the win here. And Colorado Springs Christian pulls off the first round upset ending Buena Vista's chances here in the postseason. Now, we're going to kind of be jumping around here according to the list on Max Preps, but in some huge 5A news, Thunder Ridge benches their senior quarterback who'd been starting all year and starts DJ Bordeaux, the freshman here, in his first ever varsity start, and boy, did he give the Grizzly fans something to remember here. Now, in the very first quarter, the score was 7-7, seven to seven, and at one point, Doherty, after a 25-yard field goal, was leading in the second quarter 10-7, but that would be the last time that they were leading here, as Thunder Ridge would score on the ensuing drive with four minutes to go, and then Thunder Ridge would then take off here. They would get a 15-yard pass for a touchdown to go up 17-10, to 10 just before the end of the second, or with about a minute to go in the second quarter. They would then get the ball right back here and score again before half with a three-yard pass completed for a touchdown going up 24-10, to and the rest is history from here. Thunder Ridge would never be caught from that 24-10 to lead, scoring two more touchdowns and winning 38-10. to Caden Becker here, 
for Doherty, putting in a solid performance, 15 to 30 for 163 yards, while also getting 11 carries for 67 yards and a touchdown. The Doherty offense rushing for 171 and passing for 163, coming out really hot, but stalling out quite a bit in that second half as the Thunder Ridge defense returned to form here, led mainly by Max Hughes, the junior, 11 tackles, three for loss, and then Kyler Pilgrim, 10 tackles, and one for loss. Caden Shouse, not to be forgotten, six total tackles, and two of those being for loss. And also Ethan Hill slash Max, both registering half a sack. LaRon Donald of Doherty registering two sacks in this game. Still pretty impressive. But I mean, this Thunder Ridge defense really turns it up here in the second half and just shuts out this team entirely. And for the Thunder Ridge offense, this is one of the better passing performances they've had all season. Richard Acuna with over 100 yards. Gavin Olshan with 173 yards and two touchdowns. CJ Reese, the junior stalwart with three receptions for 50 yards and a score. All of those coming from freshman quarterback DJ Bordeaux. We've been talking about DJ for quite some time on this show. We've covered him and have broken down his film initially from his seventh grade season, I want to say. And, uh, you know, last year when we were able to attend more middle school games, we attended a lot of those Spartans games and knew that DJ was going to be someone who's special. And in his first start, goes 19 of 30 for 326 yards, Three touchdowns, no interceptions, a QBR of 133.5, and he notched another 11 yards on the ground. I believe that number might even take a step forward. This Doherty defense did a really good job of slowing down this Grizzlies offense in the run game, holding them to only 2.9 yards per carry, which is a significant decrease from what they have in the past. However, this Thunder Ridge offense did have the benefit of the passing game coming to life here under the you know quarterback change and i think that that is something to be very excited about and i believe that i will be able to make the arapaho versus thunder ridge game on saturday night uh barring any setbacks or anything like that but huge kudos to dj you know that he's been one of our guys a true pmc original here and he has definitely earned this and also shout out to dj for getting his first official offer to penn state as well so all of that's very exciting. Thunder Ridge does advance in the postseason and will be facing Arapaho. Now, Strasburg versus Burlington. Back to some 1A action. Strasburg takes care of business here. Five rush rushing touchdowns, 306 total yards. Zach Marrero leading the charge with 207 of those yards. Thomas Devlin having 69 of his own. And then Landon Martin goes 8 of 12 for 99 yards, a touchdown and a pick, while also getting a rushing touchdown here. Strasburg, number two seed, for a reason. Now, Eagle Crest versus Fountain Fort Carson, jumping back to some 5A action. This one was not particularly close. You know, at the end of the first quarter, it was only 7-0 Fountain Fort Carson, and it was really close to end the first half, you know, 27-14. But the Fountain Fort Carson defense would shut out this Eagles offense for the rest of the game, and they were causing some serious complications for this passing game here. Look, per usual, the Eagle Crest offense, Diego Kearns did his thing. 18 carries, 161 yards, and two touchdowns. But Jacob Schmidt does turn the ball over with an interception here and can't really get running here. Six carries for only five yards. Not a whole lot to gain here. Fountain for Carson here, on the other hand, on offense, does get a solid performance from Tavion Tooley. Maybe his best of the year. 10 of 16, 204 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. While also rushing for 84 yards and two touchdowns. Tavion Tooley with a six-touchdown performance. Definitely a playmaker of the week candidate for sure in this huge win over 
Eagle Crest here. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they did force three turnovers, which would be well more than enough for this FFC team to get the dub. Jumping over to some 4A action here, Mesa Ridge takes care of business against Monarch, as they should, being the 10 seed versus, like, the 23 seed, I believe is how that shakes down. Bryce Real, 14 of 22, 158 yards, two touchdowns. And then on the ground, Trayvon Salas here, as a freshman, 21 carries, 124 yards, and a score in his playoff debut. And then Isaiah Jones, 28 carries for 224 yards and two touchdowns himself. Big performances from lots of freshmen over this weekend. And, you know, Trayvon Salas is one of those for Mesa Ridge. Thinking about going to that Mesa Ridge and Heritage game coming up on Friday. Now, in some 2A action, this is the first 2A game that we're talking about here. We have TCA versus Moffitt County here. And TCA quickly jumped out to a 17 to nothing lead with just under a minute left in the first half. But Evan Atkin rips off a 74-yard rushing touchdown here just before half to make it 7 to 17. But then Evan Atkin gets another rushing touchdown here and brings Moffat County back within three points, 14 to 17, just before the half. TCA, a team that we have seen had some epic playoff meltdowns here. Will they allow that to happen again? Well, to start the third quarter, you wouldn't think so since they get a rushing touchdown and a PAT here to go up 24 to 14 here. And then they force a punt, getting the ball and eating up a lot of time here before eventually having to punt back to Moffat County. Now Moffat, with the ball to start the fourth quarter, they eventually have to punt here. And Moffat County, with nine minutes to go, they start with the ball on their own five-yard line, and TCA makes them pay. Jaron Texer has a four-yard pick six that puts this game away here. They would get one more rushing touchdown in this game before winning 38-21. to Big performances from the defense, obviously, who does have that pick six. That is definitely in our conversation here for Playmaker of the Week. But three total interceptions on the night, two or actually three forced fumbles and two of those being recovered. This TCA team just looked a little bit stronger from top to bottom, whereas, you know, this Moffat County team, per usual, was very, very heavily reliant on Evan Atkin. It looks like they might have even had to bench their senior quarterback at some point. Uh, Evan Beaver, a junior, goes 15 of 28, throws a touchdown and two picks. Evan Atkin throws a pick on a trick play here. Uh, Caden Hickson with a solid receiving game going for over 100 yards. But, I mean, Evan Atkin losing two fumbles in the biggest game of the year is something to be talked about and something that will be considered when we are looking at our top five senior rushers here. And speaking of rushers here, Caden Rusin for TCA is the lead rusher in a surprising turn of events, going 24 carries for 140 yards and two scores, showing that TCA dominant offensive line that does eventually take care of business here as they will advance to the next round and will be looking to play university here. Now, we'll get to that game in a minute, but Skyline takes care of business against Widefield here. They go up 28-6 to before the half even ends here and would go on to win this game 48-13. to Not to really anyone's surprise, not at least here at the pod, Legacy takes care of business against Arvada West, winning 41-0, advancing to the next round. Colin Lerma, three rushing touchdowns. Tyler Anderson, two rushing touchdowns. Enough said there. Uh, Legacy will go on to play Pine Creek. Now, in one of the bigger upsets of the weekend, University does beat the Academy 14-13 here. They lead at half 14-7 here. 
and Academy too little too late with six points in the fourth quarter and just not quite getting it done. Look, University led here by a very, very strong defensive effort here that sees them force an interception on Isaiah Elliott and constantly harassing him all night while at the same time finding times to stifle him as a runner, holding Isaiah Elliott to only 20 yards on 13 carries. The Academy having to go other directions. Donahue stepping up big time for them, eight carries for 111 yards. And then Sean Smith and Tony Fabian being the lone touchdown scorers. Cole Croissant, though, has an incredible game. 14 of 16, 146 yards, touchdown and interception, but is also the Bulldogs' lead rusher on offense with 20 carries for 82 yards and a score. As University, for the second year in a row as a lower seed, pulls off a first-round upset, and they are in a prime spot to actually do the exact same thing again. But, you know, this defense, Johnny Wyrick, who used to be a quarterback, you know, is the team's backup quarterback, gets two sacks in this game. And then Day Santiago also gets a sack with Titan Bentley getting a hurry, Kyan Baxley with an interception, and Marcus Loma with a fumble recovery. This Bulldogs team, I feel like they win a little bit more convincingly even than the score lets on here as they will advance to the second round to face TCA. Now, in 4A action, Dakota Ridge, as predicted by us, does take care of business against Longmont, scoring 37 points in the very first quarter and then going into coast mode the rest of the time. Blake Palladino plays a basically a perfect game, putting up a QBR of 157.1, 6 of 7, 74 yards, and 2 touchdowns. It also helps that he had 5 carries for 47 yards and a score. Noah Triplett, 9 carries, 98 yards, 3 touchdowns, doing his typical thing. They will draw the very tough and imposing Loveland Red Wolves in the next round. Over on the Longmont side, Strandberg and Colby Holmes both get a touchdown, but I mean, they average 0.9 yards per carry on the day. Not, uh, not the best as they just get swarmed and lose in the first or lose in their first playoff game or no, no, no. It was their second playoff game because Dakota Ridge had a bye, but lose to Dakota Ridge in the playoffs for the second year in the row. Nonetheless, Staying in some Jeffco League action, Golden gets the 28-0 win over Rampart, as they should. Rampart, you know, outside of uh, Ramaka, who had 116 yards on 24 carries, just can't really get a whole lot going here as Golden just takes care of business, as they rightfully should, over, I think, like the 21 seed or something like that. Now, congr huge congratulations and shout-out to Fossil Ridge, who wins their first ever playoff game against Mullen. This was at home against Mullen here. Tyler Kubot, incredible performance. 18 of 23, 324 yards, four touchdowns and a pick. Now, Ben Kurza of Mullen actually has one of his better games all year. 20 of 42, 331 yards, outpassing Tyler Kubot even, and two touchdowns, no recorded interceptions. Aaron Waymeyer, 24 carries, 144 yards, and then AJ Golda getting their one touchdown reception here. Aaron Waymeyer also getting one of those receiving touchdowns. Just not enough to keep up with this offense. Led by Trek Keyworth here. Seven receptions, 82 yards, and three touchdowns. Dominic Leone, by the way, three receptions for 147 yards, including a long of 74 and a score here. The rushing attack for Fossil Ridge, making this look like a very balanced and dangerous offense. Colton Pollock here, the sophomore, eight carries, 121 yards, and a score, a long of 72. And then Dake Jake Toshif, I want to say, who's also a sophomore, had eight carries for 45 yards and a score as well. This Fossil Ridge offense looking very explosive and dangerous in this 45-21 to 21 win here. 
plenty of recorded pancakes. Thomas Iverson, five recorded pancakes on the night. And then Gage Ginther, by the way, getting his first offer to Mizzou, actually, uh, just over this past weekend. Lots to be excited about for this Foster Ridge team heading to face the number 10 or the number seven seed Regis Jesuit. That should be a classic game. Rock Canyon here takes care of business and beats Cherokee Trail 23-20, but almost has a heart attack here at the end. They are leading 23-7 heading into the fourth quarter when Cherokee Trail scores 13 points in this very last frame to try and make things interesting, scoring that first touchdown with nine minutes to go and failing on a two-point conversion here. That would end up being somewhat critical later on in this game, but uh, Cherokee Trail also with six minutes to go gets a 54-yard touchdown pass and... Rock Canyon manages to run out the rest of the clock here, luckily to survive a potential comeback from Cherokee Trail. Elliot Ming having an incredible performance, throwing three touchdowns to only one pick and, you know, having to go all into the air with the rushing attack being absolutely useless against this Rock Canyon defense. Peyton Somers, a sophomore, had two receptions for 128 yards and two touchdowns. And, you know, they... Almost all the receivers had over 30 yards. This is a team that will be very exciting in the future, considering that their leading passers a sophomore. Their two leading, two of their four leading receivers are also sophomores. Their tailback Noah Collins is sophomore. There's a lot to be excited for this Cherokee Trail offense heading into the future. But heading into the future, aka next week, Rock Canyon will look to play the original Rock Canyon blueprint, the Columbine Rebels following their by Aiden Duda here, 43 carries, 341 yards, and three scores on the offensive side. On the defensive side, you have leading tackler Ryland Mill putting in some serious work here, and this Rock Canyon defense getting four total sacks. And then you also have Rosenmeyer here with two pass deflections. Austin Bowker here with an interception that he took back 48 yards not for a touchdown, but with a massive return nonetheless here. Plenty to be excited about for Rock Canyon as well. Now, unfortunately, uh, our good pal Gideon here is feeling under the weather. So I'm going to try my best to do my best Gideon impression. Gideon, I apologize that I'm not going to be able to deliver your content the same way that you do. And I'm sorry to the fans that you're going to have to try and listen to me uh, imitate a such a unique reporting style on our pod. But... Here goes nothing. Gideon was able to tend in 4A, the number 15 seeded Windsor hosting the number 18 Bear Creek. And so, as Gideon does, going back and forth between, or starting with one team and going through their game summary and going through the other team's game summary, we will start with Windsor here. And, you know, for Windsor, Gideon says, and this is all in quotes, by the way, this game was awesome. Good food from the chili tie across the street, even though they didn't give me a fork. An amazing and beautiful atmosphere in Windsor and a fun, passion-filled outing. On top of that, a few crucial players were out in Adrian Rico and Garrett Sauer, so it was up to the backup quarterbacks to orchestrate the offense. How did they do, one might ask? Well, let's find out. And so, in the first quarter, starting this one out, Zach Johnson and Jackson Harden got a tackle. Harden got a hurry, and along with Josh Taylor running some good coverage, forced an incompletion. Colton Piper got a tackle to force a run out, and with strong team defense, they forced a punt. On offense, Chase, Tom Chase Thomas started out by running for six, but a bad snap made me worry for a second as it was fumbled. However, Jaden Thomas picked it up and managed to carry it 12 yards for a first down on a wild play. 
Another bad snap led to an incompletion, but Jaden Thomas came in on third and 10 and rushed for 12, where I thought he wouldn't see the light of day. There were so many guys around him. Unfortunately, this drive led to a fourth and 10 shortly after, where Gavin Helm punted a perfect spiral that went 55 yards. Harding got another tackle, followed by Henry Jones getting a hurry. Trevor Vialpondo got a tackle, and on a goal line stand, Vialpondo got another. Piper got another tackle of his own, but this didn't stop a third and goal on the one. After a fumbled kick, the Wizards were down 0-6 with 2-11 left in the first. Jaden Thomas ran for 45 on the kickoff return, and then Mitchell Madrill ran for five of his own. However, this drive also ended on 4th and 4, where it looked like Helm would punt. However, a clever fake that had me juked out made it so that Zach Johnson received for a first down, keeping the drive alive as time ran out in the first quarter. Now, we're in the second quarter of the summary, and entering the second, Chase Thomas carried the handoff for two yards. Then Wyatt Gustafson passed to Jaden Thomas for 12, where Thomas broke multiple tackles for yardage. Jaden Thomas then had a falling catch for six, but the drive fell short, meaning that the Wizards would have to kick a 40-yard field goal. It fell a little bit short. Zach, John Zach Johnson on defense got a touchdown-saving tackle, and Piper forced a fumble on the one-yard line, which was then recovered by Mikey Munn. Jaden Thomas rushed to get outside of the 10 and then make it a first down. Gustafsson then passed the rock to Chase Thomas, who ran for an 89-yard touchdown breaking approximately six ankles and a few hearts along the way. Helm put in the PAT and, Bear Creek, or and Windsor led Bear Creek 7-6 with 7.47 to go in the half. Jones got a pass deflection and then shared a tackle with Harden, which helped force a 4th and 14 punt that went out at the 42. Madrill carried for 5 and then Jaden Thomas ran for 3. Jaden Thomas then ran for a touchdown, which got called back due to holding. Chase Thomas caught for five yards through contact, and then Jaden Thomas broke four separate tackles to get the ball to the two. However, they got stopped on fourth and goal and had a turnover on downs. Jones did the miraculous for the defense and forced a safety with 2.32 left in the half to put Windsor up 9-6. Before I had finished writing down what happened the previous play, Chase Thomas returned the kickoff 73 yards for another touchdown. This made it two scores in 10 seconds for Windsor, which was capped off by Helm hitting another PAT, putting Windsor up 16-6 over Bear Creek with 2.21 to go. Hunter Dorrance and Vialpondo shared a tackle, and then Piper got a hurry. Jones brought a man down, followed by Munn doing the same. Piper forced a hurry once more, and Jones tackled another runner out. Munn got a pass breakup, which helped force a turnover on downs. Chase Thomas ran for 39, and after a timeout with 14.8 seconds left, Jaden Thomas ran for 11 more. A long incompletion on what could have been P.I. made it so that Windsor had to take a field goal, which was then blocked. This took us out of the half. In the third quarter, Chase Thomas started out the third with a return on the kickoff for 15, which was followed by an incompletion on a good pass. After a long incompletion, Helms' punt went for 45, and on the defensive side, Munn, got a tackle for loss times two. Bryson Pendleton heard the QB and Taylor got a tackle. After a holding call, Trey Batts got a tackle, which precipitated one by Harden. After a face mask call, Piper got a hurry, which was followed by a Jones tackle. Dorrance got a tackle for loss and then Taylor and Vialpondo shared a tackle. After a group TFL, Harden and Ryland Renton shared a tackle on the seven yard line. 
Munn then blocked the field goal, leaving Renton able to recover it and give Windsor back possession. Wow, that was a really, this is back to Cody. That was a very long Bear Creek drive that ended with no points. That is tough when you have to look back for, for the Bears here. But jumping back into Gideon's summary here, with Windsor on the ball on offense, Jaden Thomas ran twice each time for a first down. Then there was a fumble which was recovered by Chris Saliga, which actually gained Windsor nine yards. The very next play, Chase Thomas ran for Tony, but got stripped. He then gained five more yards when he jumped on the ball and kept possession. This closed out the third for the Wizards, where they led 16-6. Jumping out from the Cody perspective again, they're trying to let Bear Creek back into this game in that third quarter with two fumbles on one drive. What a crazy sequence of events. Jumping back to Gideon's notes here in the fourth quarter, after some good defense, Windsor got back to playing O, and Jaden Thomas ran for three and then four more. He ran twice more, each of which would have been called a touchdown, but wasn't. On defense, Taylor had good coverage, and then Munn got a tackle. Packet? Paquet? Uh, had a really strong tackle, followed by VL Pondo, and after a pass interference call, Piper got another tackle, followed by his getting a deflection. Renton had a breakup, which helped give Windsor back the ball. Chase Thomas ran for five, and Windsor started running the clock with 3.11 to go. Jaden Thomas then ran down the middle and didn't look back on a 60-yard tutty to get his 3,000th yard of rushing, becoming only the second Windsor player to ever do so. Harms hit the PAT, which put Windsor up 23-6 with a little over two minutes left. Johnson got a sack, followed by Munn getting a tackle, and the game was over when Munn caught an interception with 28 seconds to go. Now, being crowned the defensive playmaker of the game, Colton Piper, Windsor made it very difficult for me in this one. I could go with Brock, Paquet, Hunter Dorrance, Trey Batts, Henry Jones, Jackson Harden, Mikey Munn, Zach Johnson, or Colton Piper. I decided to go with Piper here. Colton Piper sporting the lucky number 61 was a very important physical tone setter for the Wizards, along with a critical pass rusher. The junior defensive tackle was always working hard to keep his guys focused, along with getting his work done. While his 17 tackles were actually below his season, her seven tackles were below his season average of 8.2, he also got a pass deflection and caused a crucial fumble. When asked, uh, well, with a quote from Piper here, quote, I just don't think about it too much. You remember your responsibility and that your team is there for you. We've got ahead and we've got to, and we're going to have to work extra, end quote. Now for the offensive player of the game, Gideon has crowned two offensive playmaker of the games here in Jaden Thomas and Wyatt Gustafson. During this game, Jaden Thomas became the second ever Windsor Wizard to pass 3,000 rushing yards with 119 on the night, punctuated by his 61-yard touchdown. Jaden Thomas was impossible to bring down, with it sometimes taking three defenders on his back before he would slow down. Quote from Jaden Thomas, We kept our guys straight-headed. Guys my size got to put that work in because we can do just as much as the bigger guys can. We just got to work for it, end quote. Additionally, freshman quarterback Wyatt Gustafson went 8 of 14 for 154 yards with a 119.3 passer rating. It was only his second varsity start, and it was the best game of his year as of yet. The future is bright if Gustafson keeps playing like he has. The playmaker of the game is Chase Thomas. Gideon put Chase Thomas is speedy. The 5'8 senior running back finishes the TNT duo masterfully with a plethora of jukes and spin moves that put his defenders in a blender. He had 204 total yards on the night, not including his 70-yard kickoff return touchdown. In total, he had just shy of 300 total yards. 
Chase Thomas is a problem and one that is hard to pin down due to his spin moves and jukes. Chase was quoted as saying, quote, I've been working with a trainer, Adam winked, and I've been doing speed training. We've got to focus because we know who they are and they're good, end quote. And that's in regards to their upcoming opponent, the Broomfield Eagles. Now for Bear Creek here, let's go ahead and recap what Gideon had to say about Bear Creek. Bear Creek, this one was weird because Adrian Rico wasn't playing. That's their starting quarterback, by the way. That's just a bit important considering that Rico has 2,591 passing yards. However, Jojo Hernandez stepped in without a B and took up the starting quarterback role quite well. On to the game. Quarter one, the Bears started with possession in this one and Emilio Mendoza returned the kickoff for 25. Steve Campos ran for 10, but after a false start and a long incompletion, Jojo Hernandez ran for five. On third and 10, the wide receiver ran across the line of scrimmage early, pushing them back quite a bit. Hernandez was this close to getting a first down on the following run, but stepped out of bounds four yards short. This had them at 4th and 4 where they punted, which went out at the 33. Mendoza got a tackle, which was followed by a Mason Rodriguez and Jeremy Vasquez sharing one. Vasquez then shared one more, this time with number 9, and then number 9 then got a solo, which helped force a punt. Hernandez had a 40-yard run to open this drive, and then Rodriguez tacked one more onto that. After a false start the Bears had on 3rd and 7, Hernandez threw to Ryan Bobick for 25. Hernandez tripped on the next play, but then Cinco... Perez ran for five. Hernandez brought it within inches of the goal line, but the Bears were stopped twice just outside the end zone. After a timeout with 2.26 to go, Hernandez ran it in for a tutty. The holder on the PAT dropped the ball, which put Bear Creek up 6-0 with 2.11 left in the first. Bobick and number nine shared a tackle, and then Mays got a tackle for loss to end the first. Now in quarter number two, Marcus Martinez started the second with a tackle, and Bobichick had good coverage to force a punt. Hernandez ran for 21 to start the drive and then threw to Bobachek for 40 yards. However, the Bears then fumbled on the one. Woof. There's, there's another six points left on the turf. Keep track of the points that they're leaving on the uh, turf. That was a Cody note. Back to Gideon. Number nine got a tackle, but then got injured. With a group tackle, everything seemed fine and dandy, but Bear Creek then allowed an 89-yard touchdown that put them down 6-7 to seven with 747 in the half. After a false start and an incompletion, AJ Spires punted, which went 35 yards. Martinez and Matt Whitehawk shared a tackle, but after a roughing the passer call, the Bears had a group tackle. Ivan Martinez got hurt on the tackle, but the Bears performed well to force a goal line stand on the one yard line. On the next play, after turning over on downs, they allowed a safety, which put Bear Creek back 6-9 with 2.21 to go. They then allowed a touchdown on the kickoff to go down 16-6 with 2 minutes and 11 seconds left in the half. Bobbitt caught for third and one, and then Hernandez ran for nine. Elijah Thomas Jr. caught for 10, and Bobbitt ran for 14. Keelan Flanagan caught for five, and then after two incompletions, they had a turnover on downs. In the near the end of the half here, Mays got a tackle, and Josh Cordova Jr. had really good coverage to help force a field goal, which Mays then blocked. That end of the half for Bear Creek, down 16-6. to six. Keep in mind, we are up to like three injuries, if you include Adrian Rico between him, number nine, and Martinez here at varying points in this game or before the game, and we also have six points that they left on the board. That was a Cody note. Back to Gideon in the third quarter. Garcia's kickoff went 45 yards to start the second half, and then Vasquez got a tackle for loss, which helped force a punt. Hernandez ran for seven, but an illegal motion call brought it back, and then he ran for nine more in the next play. Isaiah Phelps caught for a first down, and then Campos ran for three. Holding made it second and 12, and Bobic caught for seven. 
Hernandez ran for six, and then Thomas Jr. ran for the same amount. Vasquez ran for a first down, followed by Thomas Jr. catching for eight. Hernandez went for three, and after an incompletion, Hernandez made it two more, but after an illegal formation, Bear Creek took a timeout with 2.37 to go in the quarter. Their field goal attempt following the timeout then got blocked. So, there's nine points that they've probably left on the board at this point. They forced two straight fumbles, but failed to recover either of them in the, to end the third. In the fourth quarter, number nine came back and got a tackle, followed by this getting a tackle for loss, which helped contribute to a turnover on downs. Campos ran for 10 yards and then Phelps caught for 12. On third and nine, Cordova Jr. was able to get the ball to the 11. Campos made it five more, but after a deflected pass, Campos made it two more. The Bears turned it over on downs on fourth and four. Brett McMillan and Wytok shared a tackle and Martinez tackled for loss, but the Bears then allowed a 61-yard touchdown that basically sealed it for them. As they went down 23-6 with 2.11 to go, helps Hernandez threw to Phelps for 35, and after a mess of penalties and an interception, this game was basically over. Now, defensive playmaker of the game for Gideon for Bear Creek is Marcus Martinez. Marcus Martinez was among 21 seniors on this team, and his passion to keep fighting and do his best to get even one more down was very clear. He got six tackles and caused a fumble. What didn't show up on the stat sheet was how hard he worked in the trenches against guys often bigger than he was. Quote from Martinez is, quote, I always repeat that I'm better than the guys I'm facing. I try to get my line going and make it a challenge. My team is there. I lead by example and work my butt off. Iron sharpens iron, end quote. Now, offensive player of the game, Ryan Bobick here, did most of the work on the receiving end for the Bears. He had a lot of catches for long gains, and he did a good job manipulating the defense to do what he wanted. Quote, just find open space and take what they give you. I'm going to get faster and stronger heading into next year. You have to work and it pays off. Whatever and whoever they want us to play, we'll do it at 110%, end quote. Now the playmaker of the game for Gideon was Jojo Hernandez. Jovan Hernandez stepped up when it mattered most. I'm not sure why, but Adrian Rico was out for this game and it was up to Hernandez to fill those shoes. Hernandez scored the only touchdown for Bear Creek and made a lot of good reads. He passed well and ran the ball well too. He reminds me of Colton Pollock a little bit. When Rico graduates next year, the Bears will be in good shape tonight if if tonight is any indication. Hernandez said, quote, I play a lot of Madden and I work to get the practical application of those skills in. Playing multiple sports allows me to develop my skills and make me a well-rounded athlete. I'm going to be grinding and putting on weight this offseason, end quote. So Gideon's summary of this 15 versus 18 seed playoff game. This game was exciting. Regardless of the 30 degree temperature, which I think weakened my immune system enough for this cold to come on. Everyone, please wish Gideon luck on getting healthy. Everyone played hard and fast. Everyone knew that it may be their last chance and nobody wasted it. Everyone on the field fought and I couldn't say that I saw any lazy players that anybody would be ashamed to say was their last. Windsor just got the right gains at the right times. Both teams did what they could with their backup quarterback and it was a battle of the backups. The Jaden and Thomas duo, or TNT, as I called them, uh, is going to be hard to stop if Gustafsson keeps playing like he did for this one. For Bear Creek, their season is over, but they have a bright future ahead. With Bobic and Rico being seniors next year and Hernandez only being a sophomore, they have a core. They just have to replace their linemen, as the majority of those 21 seniors were on the lines. It's always sad to watch a season end, but nobody on this earth could say that the seniors for Bear Creek did not go down fighting for every second. Bear Creek finishes their season 6-5. Windsor, now 7-4, moves on to face the 10-0 Broomfield Eagles next week. Best of luck to the Wizards next week at Broomfield, and I wish the seniors of Bear Creek long, happy, and prosperous lives in your endeavors, and I wish the rest of the Bear Creek squad a good year. Peace.
And that was Gideon's recap of Windsor versus Bear Creek. I'm just going to point out some things that I noticed from reading through his thing here. Um, look, there was a lot of penalties on Bear Creek in this game, and I think that while the experience on the line was big time, I think that the experience at the skill position play with the skill position players, that is, reared its ugly head in terms of penalties, illegal formations, illegal shifts, holding penalties. Like, those are a lot of avoidable things, and I don't think that this was necessarily the cleanest game by either team, but Windsor's experience, I think, was a huge difference here, even though... You know, Bear Creek has a lot of experience on those lines here. The rushing attack, the TNT combo of Chase and Jaden here was a bit too much and was the majority of the scoring for this Windsor team, who I think could be a tough draw for Broomfield if they're allowed to control the pace of this game, but they might be put in a tough spot if they fall down early. But thank you so much, Gideon, for that game summary and for the recap of Windsor versus Bear Creek. Windsor was predicted correctly by Coach V as well as Gideon. Meanwhile, I went with the Bear Creek Bears in an upset and that has fallen flat on its face. Please stay tuned to see how our brackets and pick'em points are doing so far following the recap segment. Now, as for the other game attended by PMC on Friday, I went to the Fairview versus Chatfield game. This was the 14 and 19 seed and one that all of us here at PMC got wrong, but uh, nothing but love for both communities here. And uh, let's go ahead and jump into it. So Fairview starts around the 20-ish and they have, they're coming out running the ball quite a bit here. There's not like elements going on, but it is a very cold night and there is a wind that picks up at some point. But, you know, they have a couple of runs. They have a tosh to uh, Retchell for a first. There's another run, but a holding penalty brings it back, setting up second and 20. There's a deep pass that's almost intercepted before a short run and then a pass to the, set up fourth and five. They try and draw Chatfield off sides, and then they use a timeout at nine minutes and 50 seconds and punt. Now Chatfield with the ball on their own 13 yard line, they hit a quick pass for eight yards and then get a first down to the 31 yard line. There's a holding penalty that pushes them back to the 18, setting up first and 22. There's a pass to number eight here who had really just an incredible game here. Number eight being Landon Mueller, I believe is how you say it. And so they he sets up second and two. But then, you know, there's a stuffed run on that sets up third and one. And then Zach Lewis is in the backfield at the point of the handoff, forcing fourth and five and a punt. Now, Fairview back again with their with the ball in their own 20. They have a pass to Ben Holly for five. Uh, first down slant to Retchell. Then Lewis runs for a first down to the opposite 45-yard line. And then Lewis carries twice more, setting up third and two. There's a fake toss trap that stops short on fourth and one, but then they toss to Retchell once again for a first down. There's a pass, run, run, and stuff, setting up fourth and two before they hand it off to Zach Lewis, who picks up a first. Then they throw a screen to Retchell for a first down, and then two stuffed runs out of the wing tee go on before Zach Lewis gets a gut run for a score at 11 minutes and 16 seconds in the first quarter to put Fairview up seven to nothing here. Now, Chatfield with the ball on their own 34. Jake Jones finds number 43 for a first down all the way to the 48-yard line. Then there's a small pass, well, basically a dump off to number two, Zane here, who, you know, picks up a quite a few yards and has a sweet stiff arm to get all the way to the 33-yard line. The next run is flagged back to the 40 before a pass interference on Fairview sets up first and four, and then Narva carries forward for a first. There's a couple of tosses that eventually set up third and short before Jake Jones 
he looks, he gets a snap out of shotgun, looks left, rolls out right, kind of gets walled off there, comes back to the left and gets basically all the way to the sideline before setting his feet and zipping into a tight window to number 14 here, who goes by Goose, if in case you don't know, and uh, ties this game up 7-7. Seven to seven. Fairview, they get the ball, they gain a first down, and then it's third and short eventually before the power goes completely out. There's a complete shutdown here. The lights in the box behind us go out. The lights on the field go out. It is a complete blackout. And they eventually get the booth back on within like two to five minutes, I want to say, is when the lights come on in the booths behind us here. And they make an announcement that both teams go ahead and return to the locker rooms. So there's a huge delay here um, due to just technical difficulties here. Not really sure what the story is, but it made for an exciting story. I mean, look, this weekend of football, you had like blizzards going on. You had comebacks and you had blackouts at this uh, Fairview game that made for an exciting moment here. And there's like a 20 minute delay before the lights finally come back on here. Uh, they're playing lots of music in the meantime, just to try and keep people in it. But they eventually come back out after a 20 minute delay and Fairview right out the gate gains a first down. They have a few more first downs here before eventually they get a penalty. Well, a, false, a few false starts that sets up second and 17. And, you know, Rowan Reisner here, he drops back and he goes deep to number five. But this basically guaranteed touchdown pass is dropped and eventually the Knights have to punt. And Chatfield starts inside their own five-yard line. And the first pass is pretty short of the receiver and is almost picked off. But Jones composes himself. On the next play, he scrambles for like 20 yards and then zips a pass to the sideline to get across midfield. He then finds Brock Narva, who makes a guy miss and shrugs off another tackle for the score, putting up the Chargers here on the road. Uh, it looks like this was a 53-yard play here. Puts the Chargers up on the road 14-7 with under a minute left. But on the kickoff, the kickoff nails a Fairview player in the heel and goes up in the air, and Chatfield recovers on the opposing 39-yard line with just 30 seconds left in the first half. And... Chatfield's not done here. They have a pass to Narva here. Uh, Jones gets this pass off with lots of pressure in his face. And Narva gets the first down. And they take a timeout here with 20.9 seconds left. And then there's a play action throwback left that gets all the way to the one yard line. And then they run a speed option to the right. Jake Jones keeps it himself, putting Chatfield up 21 to 7 here. Jake Jones, by the way, definitely putting his name in for playmaker of the week. Now, Chatfield, they get to start with the ball out the gate here, and they waste no time starting inside the 20. And, you know, after an unsportsmanlike conduct, they still get the ball to Brock Narva, who breaks to the opposite 48-yard line. There's a short run before a pass out to number eight, up the sideline, gains a first down, and then a swing pass is blown up by Josh Zhang of the Knights, and a couple of short runs sets up fourth and one. And Chatfield, they take a timeout here with 8.25 left in the third. And they have another, yet another chain-moving pass to Landon Mueller here. Just does a great job of knowing the field, knowing where exactly he needs to be. And they gain a first down here. And then on the next play, Jake Jones finds Drew Rollman 
on an absolute dime of a corner route here. It was a 27-yard touchdown pass, and Chatfield goes up 28-7 here. Now, Fairview, it's not looking great. They have just allowed three touchdowns in the last, like, four minutes of play, essentially. Well, it's more like five minutes of play, but nonetheless, not a good spot to be. They're down by three scores at home. What are they going to do here? They hand off to Retchell here, Jordan Retchell, that is, uh, who gains two first downs, including on a fourth and one, where the O-line just straight up lost the battle in the trenches. But Jordan here keeps the, you know, chains moving, keeps chugging his feet here, and gains a first down. They then get stuffed, and, uh, you know, a hold makes it second and 23. Roan here, he sails a pass, and then on the next pass, it's a little high, but still dropped, and Fairview has to punt. Now, Chatfield with the ball on their own 23-yard line. Uh, they get a run for four, then stuffed back to third and seven before handing it off to Zane, I want to say Aplanalp, who gains a first down on this next play. Following that, there's a bad, well, there's a run by Brock Narva to the opposing 37-yard line, but then a bad snap sends Jake Jones running for his life, and he gets a pass off, but roughing the passer moves the chains to the 22-yard line. There's a run swallowed up by Zach Lewis, and then a delay of game puts them in a second and 18 spot. They run a play action that is bobbled, but eventually corralled, and the Chargers gain 17, but number 20 for Fairview is hurt on the play, so there's a little bit of, of a break here. Chatfield, their next play goes backwards, and they try a field goal attempt, and that is no good. Now Fairview, with the ball on their own 21-yard line at the end of the third, they have two incomplete passes and a holding that sets up third and 20 before... Rowan finds Rachel for a first down. Lewis runs, but holding brings it back. And then a screen and roughing the passer leads to a first down. There's a pass interference that sets up a first inside the seven. Then an incomplete pass has it being second and three on the seven yard line. They do a full house toss left to Rachel who cuts back right and sheds multiple tackles for the score, bringing it within 28 to 14 with nine minutes left in this game. The Fairview onside fails and Chatfield starts at the 38-yard line, but a fumbled handoff on third down forces a punt. Now Fairview, with the ball on their own 15-yard line, drive all the way down the field, aided by some pass interference penalties, but eventually hand off to number five, Ben Holly, who scores, but the PAT is blocked, making it 20-28 to with two and a half minutes left here. Now Chatfield on their own 40-yard line, they eventually go three and out, and they try a fake punt run, but that play is swallowed up and stuffed by number 40, our guy, Brock Kolstad here. Definitely PMC fam. He had himself a solid game, seven tackles and a tackle for loss. He snuffs out this fake punt, and Fairview, on their own 47-yard line, have just, they have a little bit of time here to try and come back in this game. And so on their own 47-yard line, they call a couple of runs, they have an incomplete pass, and then a first down run. And they get back to throwing the football here. And eventually, they end up in about a third and six situation with about 30 seconds left on the clock. They hurry up. They call a run play here that ends up short. They call a run to Zach Lewis. Now, listen closely. They are down 20 to 28. They have no timeouts left. All right. And they're down by eight points. They've scored 13 points in this fourth quarter to bring this game back within striking distance. They get a touchdown and a two-point, and they tie this game up and probably force overtime and give themselves a chance here. So, third and six. They call a... Oh! They call a run play here, 
on third and six with 30 seconds left and no timeouts. This does not gain a first down. It ends up in about fourth and one. They hurry up to the line and the ball is spiked. If you're keeping track, yeah, that was fourth down. With 16 seconds left, they spike the football and that's the game. Chatfield assumes victory formation and that's it. Fairview really outcoached themselves here. Now, Fairview, this is a team in the past that runs an incredible spread offense, one of the most modern offenses in Colorado high school football. They ran the wing tee probably 50% of the time. It was ridiculous. It was preposterous. And Colorado coaches continue to default to the run with their backs against the wall because they don't know what to do and they lose football games. That's the second time it's happened this year. Third and six and you call a run play when the previous play stopped the clock because it was an incomplete pass. And then I don't know what's going through. I don't know if it's the coaches signaling it. I don't know if it's the quarterback doing it, but sp spiking the ball on fourth and one down eight. This is the playoffs. This is the playoffs and that's ridiculous. What are you doing? That's like, that may be the lowest IQ play I've seen all year. And I'm sorry if this is coming off a little rough, but what are you doing? This is your chance to tie the game up and you shrivel entirely. <sighs> Just, and I, I don't want, let, let me go ahead and clarify some things here. I want to shout out Chatfield. Chatfield earned this win entirely. Jake Jones put on an incredible performance, 15 of 17, 260 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, 88% completion, 167.3 rating. On top of that, four carries for 15 yards. He had a long of 19 and a touchdown on that speed option. Jake Jones played phenomenally. He even had like a Patrick Mahomes-esque touchdown pass for sure. He has impressed me seeing him live. Brock Narva put on a very solid night, 15 carries, 91 yards on top of, you know, his five receptions for 98 yards and a touchdown, you know, so like 180 total scrimmage yards. Drew Rollman came to play here, three receptions, 62 yards. I mean, look, there were six different receivers who caught passes on this Chatfield squad. So Jake Jones did an incredible job spreading the ball out. They had a couple of guys making plays, you know, on in the rushing game. Not to mention this defense played really, really well up until basically this fourth quarter, right? Uh, only holding this Fairview offense that has been so explosive this year. I mean, even if you include this 11th game, they've been averaging like 34, 35 points a game. And they held them to only 20 over the course of the entire game and seven until the fourth quarter, right? Um, and then Fairview started to pass the ball. And that's where we started to see a shift in this game. Fairview did what Fairview does. They got the ball in the hands of their playmakers. Look, Jordan Rochelle, Jordan Retchell, six receptions for 115 yards. And Ben Hawley, seven receptions for 44 yards. I know that he had that pretty tough drop, but they start passing the ball to Jordan Retchell, and there's just not an answer necessarily in the secondary for this Chatfield defense. Now, they did have a ton of pass deflections here. Shout out Benjamin, Benjamin Weber, two deflections. Dagan Myers, two. Cole Royball, Cade Thomas, and Balderstoran all had a pass deflection, right? Um, but 
Fairview, they just, I know that they were trying to stay balanced, which makes sense. 38 passes, 35 runs, but do what you do best and pass the ball. Exploit the mismatches, run the concepts. Rowan wasn't perfect by any means, but man, he did put the ball in places where receivers could make plays, especially when he had opportunities to throw to Retchell here. But man, like I said, don't know if it was the coaches, but also if the coaches is screaming at you to spike the ball and you're the quarterback and you're supposed to know what's going on in the game and it's fourth and one with the game on the line, you've got to do better. I'm, and look, I, I know Rowan. I've broken down his film. I've talked with him. He's a cool kid. Love his dad as well. Great family, great community, the Fairview community. But that is just inexcusable. You don't get to play in the playoffs last year because of a COVID breakout and you come back and this is what you do. You roll belly up. I don't know. But yeah, I'm just, I'm blown away. I'm shocked, appalled, and just, I literally can't comprehend what happened at the end of that game. I hopefully will never see anything that hurts my brain that much again. That really hurt. Um, but I mean, you know, you still had great performances on this night squad. Zach Lewis, 99 yards, a receiving touchdown. He had another 41 yards through the air on defense, leading the team in tackles with 12, as well as leading the team in tackles for loss with three here. And, you know, this defense still played pretty good. Uh, I would say that, you know, this Chatfield offense was just doing what I think the Fairview offense wanted to do. But because Chatfield is able to run the ball out of shotgun instead of a wing T, that just makes them more versatile and dangerous. 25 passes to, or 17 passes to 25 runs. They were still on the run heavy side, but you weren't necessarily sure. And their play action game was working very, very well. Uh, it was very lethal and dangerous. And I think that there is even a drop on the Chatfield side. So really Jake Jones could have been 16 of 17 on the night uh, for sure. So, you know, just putting all that out there that this Chatfield offense came out, looked very, very crisp here and earned this playoff win. And, you know, shout out to the Chatfield community. Look, this is another time where we just haven't been, you know, we've been overlooking Chatfield. And I will say that I am, as somebody who took Ralston Valley to go to state, I am very worried about Chatfield playing Ralston Valley in the second round. I'm very worried for Ralston Valley, that is. I think it's going to be a better game than the first one that still ended 27 to 20. But uh, Chatfield, look, they just looked very composed. This is a team that, you know, I think if they played through this season a second time against the exact same matchups, they probably end up 5-5 five and five as opposed to 4-6. and six. But they're 5-6 and six here now. They definitely could have beat Cherokee Trail um, if, uh, you know, the if they had the experience. Even if both teams were at their best, I still think that Chatfield beats Cherokee Trail here um, at the beginning of the season, like I predicted uh, in the preseason, you know, polls and... Um, yeah, you know, Chatfield, they advance. Fairview, lots of guys will be returning next year. Not Zach Lewis, incredible career that he's had for Fairview, both on offense and defense. Wishing him luck on the next level, obviously. And they do have some graduates, but they are returning guys who will have to look at this game. They will have to look inside themselves and figure out how bad and how much they want it. Um, I, I could tell you Zach Lewis wanted it. I could tell you Jordan Retchell wanted it. And I can tell you that Brock Kolstad wanted it. Other than that, there is a lot lacking on this defense and, and on the offense. And I'll leave it at that. 
once again, huge congratulations to the Chatfield Chargers here for, you know, surviving this comeback, shutting them out here, and uh, advancing to the next round. And just looking so crisp and, like, surgical on the offensive side of the ball, really. Uh, tons of playmakers, as we've been new. And, uh, man, gosh, I wish Mason Lowe was still here. Um, I think that that probably would have changed the outcome of some games as well. But, uh, you know, they're not worried about that. They're on to the Mustangs here and on to the second round of the playoffs. And we are on to Saturday's score recaps from the postseason. Let's go ahead and jump into it. This very first one for a matchup between Erie and Air Academy. Not really a surprise here. Erie wins this one pretty handily, 49-7. to No stats to go off of, but I saw some of the highlights of Blake Barnett. And then, you know, this defense holds this Air Academy team that is usually so good at running the football to 0.1 yards per carry. Only one yard. Wow. I have no word. We're just going to move on because I don't even know how to react to that. Uh, but anyways, uh, Lyman here, they take care of business. They go up 35-0 to zero in the first half and finish this game 42-14 to 14 against Flat Irons Academy. Look, uh, they just, Flatirons eventually getting over 100 yards, and they have a rushing and throwing touchdown. Uh, Michael Kingery being the throwing touchdown here with Nolan Shepard not finding a ton of luck through the air. Nolan Shepard does, does have the rushing touchdown. On the Lyman side, though, holy cow. Um, so Jordan Rockwell, he goes 2 of 5 for 47 yards. Nothing crazy passing-wise. But in the run game, Logan Botcher making his presence known in his first year as a Badger. And boy, does he really work it here as he gets three rushing touchdowns and 112 yards in this game gabe shubarth 14 carries for 188 yards and three touchdowns this might be the dynamic duo heading into the postseason as they will both try and make it a little bit easier on each other and try and give each other some breaks here keon Bant, both teams lost to fumbles which is a little weird but regardless uh you know this Lyman defense does their thing. Miguel Nunez here leading the team in tackles for loss with two. And yeah, um, Aaron Shoebarth. Okay, so we have the next in line of the Shoebarths uh, as a junior. Um, he got a sack as well. Um, Logan Botcher and Tuck Hubbard recovering those fumbles on the defensive side of the ball. And Nolan Shepard recovering one of those two fumbles for the Flatirons Academy. We also got a look at maybe the future under center for Lyman here as they did get Aiden Cullith in there who is a freshman, one of one for two yards. So uh, no big surprises here. Lyman will move on to the next round. Now, Grand Junction Central versus Fruta Monument here, or I should say Fruta Monument versus Grand Junction Central. Uh, look, Fruta runs crazy for 300 yards. Corbin Rowell with 149 of those yards and two of those touchdowns. Wyatt Sharp and Ryan Antonucci getting the other rushing touchdowns here. Luke Bennett having one reception for 48 yards and a score. Corbin Rowell, 4 of 8, 63 yards, touchdown, and an interception. They will advance to play Vista Ridge in the 8 versus 9 seed game. Eaton here wins big to no one's surprise, 59 to 14 over Bennett, scoring double, scoring at least two touchdowns in every single quarter. This is headlined by Walker Martins, 10 of 13, 256, five touchdown performance, and is also nicely complemented by D'Angelo Rosas, 12 carry, 148 yard, one touchdown performance. Walker Martin with another touchdown on the ground, definitely having a playmaker of the week caliber game here. Rye versus Yuma. Yuma runs away with this one. After being down 6 to nothing to Rye to end the first quarter, Yuma would 
finally turn on the Jets here and not look back, shutting out Rye for the rest of the game and scoring 42 points of their own. This was thanks to a huge performance from Nash Richardson, 11 carries, 109 yards, two touchdowns. And Ethan Googline, I want to say is how you say it, 10 carries, 102 yards, two touchdowns. And Damon Thornton here with another interception, his sixth interception on the year. Nash Richardson also recovering a fumble on the defensive side of the ball. They will await Colorado Springs Christian, and they might have to play in Colorado Springs. Not entirely sure yet. For the number one seed against the 16 seed into a Delta, wins big 42-0. Uh, Ty Reed, 7 of 1,380 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick here. But I want to go ahead and look at one of our defensive playmaker of the year candidates, Connor Workman here, who put in that work, man. 14 tackles, two for loss. Tucker Johnson with 12 tackles and two for loss. So, you know, this Delta squad is rolling here uh, to start the postseason. They are not one of the upsets from 2A this week, but there were plenty. This was not an upset. Uh, Pueblo West beats Stanley Lake 32-22. to Still a very entertaining game here. Very, you know, kind of back and forth. Uh, it went into half at 6-6, six to six, but Pueblo West rides a huge third quarter here where, you know, they actually fall behind to Stanley Lake 14-6 to six before popping off themselves, getting a Gavin Henderson rushing touchdown to only be down 14-12. to 12. And then Garrett O'Brien returned a punt for a touchdown and they got a two-point conversion to go up 20 to 14 in the third quarter here then you head into the fourth quarter and Pueblo West keeps it running they get a 69 yard rushing touchdown nice to start the beginning of the fourth quarter they fail on the two-point conversion they are up 26 to 14 at this point Stanley Lake with four minutes to go they do get a two-yard rushing touchdown and get within striking distance down 22 to 26 but Pueblo West here with four minutes to go. They get the ball here and just use up a decent amount of time. Gavin Lockett, they get a rushing touchdown here to go up 22 to 32. And that would be the last of this game as Stanley Lake does turn over on downs with under a minute to go. Now, Pueblo West, 14 seed. Uh, they get a solid win over a good Stanley Lake team. Stanley Lake, congratulations on a really solid season and for making the postseason this year. I think that there's a lot to be excited about for this Stanley Lake team that just has a plethora of athletes and playmakers. But uh, Pueblo West, they will be looking ahead to Ponderosa. Back to 1A News. Ray just dismantles Meeker 34-0. to Three rushing touchdowns from Samuel Meisner, a rushing touchdown for Brady Collins, both of those ball carriers going for over 100 yards, and Casey Midcap finally looking like the polished quarterback that a lot of us were expecting this sophomore year, going 14 of 22 for 132 yards and a touchdown. Chris Arambula being on the receiving end of that touchdown and having 10 receptions. Hopefully they can spread it out a little bit more, but they will have many exciting matchups ahead of them as they will play the winner of this game, North Fork versus Wiggins here. Wiggins wins this one 52 to 20, but not without a little bit of a scare here as, you know, North Fork and Wiggins were only at 14 to 26 heading into halftime, but Wiggins would step on the gas here. Cole Kerr rushing for four touchdowns, 126 yards. Julio Flores, one of our O-Poi candidates, 18 carries, 145 yards and two touchdowns of his own. Kolker also being efficient through the air, 7 of 11 for 59 yards. And then obviously this defense clamping down and suffocating, forcing two interceptions. Cole Kerr with an interception. Wow, that is a playmaker of the week candidacy level performance from Cole Kerr in this first round. Speaking of 1A football, 
Gunnison, Centauri. Centauri jumps out to a 13-0 lead here in the first quarter to, I mean, they get a five-yard rushing touchdown from Leighton Curtis here, and that puts them up 14 to nothing. Um, then Leighton Curtis, Curtis completes a 25-yard pass to Kyler Eulery. And wait, that's actually 13-0. Sorry, the uh, Max Preps recap is a little crazy here. But in the second quarter with two minutes to go, Centauri actually blocks a punt just like they did in the championship last year. But this time it's number four, Zach Gallardo with the three-yard return, putting them up 19-0. But with under a minute left, Gunnison does drive down the field and Royce Urig gets the two-yard rushing score to make it 7-19 heading into halftime. Now... Out of the half with six minutes to actually no scores in the third quarter, it looks like. But uh, with six minutes to go, Austin Stockbrand has a two-yard rushing touchdown for the fast break Falcons here. And Royce Urig scores a four-yard rushing touchdown with four minutes to go. But it is too little too late for Gunnison as they fall to Centauri 14-26. to on the day, Leighton Curtis, 5 of 9, 43 yards and a touchdown. And then on the ground, 14 carries for 75 yards and a score. And then Austin Stockbrand just being the bell cow, 31 carries, 119 yards. Really tough running here for him, but that will be enough to send Centauri to the next round. <clears throat> we have a couple of <whistles> upset alerts here into a football. Florence continues to just choke away in these games here. Losing to Rifle, 14-7. Rifle with probably the biggest upset in any tournament so far here. This game actually in the fourth quarter is tied at seven apiece here. But Rifle with six minutes to go gets a rushing touchdown and converts on the PAT. Then Rifle with the ball on their own 48-yard line in two minutes to go tries to drive down the field, but eventually... It ends up being Rifle Ball here. And Rifle, with a big upset over the Florence Huskies, wins 14-7. In other crazy news here, Montezuma Cortez, Elizabeth. I want to say this is the 6-11 and 11 seed game. Elizabeth here, they get a Jason Weber rushing touchdown in the first minute, or with one minute to go in this game. And they have a 7-0 lead heading into the third quarter before Montezuma Cortez gets... Two rushing touchdowns here and are up 13-7 to with two minutes to go. And then in the final minute of the third quarter, they get a pick six and a two-point conversion to go up 21-7. to 21 unanswered points in this third quarter would be enough as Montezuma Cortez upsets the Elizabeth Cardinals 21-7. And they will play the other upset special of the week, Rifle. Now... Heading back to 1A here, Monte Vista, they were without D'Angelo Archuleta in this game. He was serving a one-game suspension, but Monte Vista holds on just barely with eight points here in the final frame to go up 28-21. to Look, Monte Vista, they get a rushing touchdown, you know, um, oh, apologies, sorry, the uh, Max Preps is once again a little bit of a mess, but Monte Vista... They are up 20-14 to 14 heading into the fourth quarter before they get a Keegan Gunter uh, two-point conversion following an Andrew Chavez rushing touchdown to go up 28-14. to 14. Now, Wyatt Sprague, he gets a four-yard rushing touchdown with two minutes to go, but it is a little bit too late. Holyoke here with a first-round exit, um, but uh, Monte Vista with a win without one of their better players 
And that's in huge part thanks to Keegan Gunter, 29 carries, 108 yards. Andrew Chavez, 14 carries, 88 yards, and two touchdowns. And then Kevin Cisneros, 12 carries for 124 yards and a touchdown. Just getting a lot of contributors here. Kevin Cisneros stepping up really big as a sophomore here with that 124 yards and another 34 yards through the air. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Esteban Lujan constantly harassing Wyatt Spray throughout the day that he gets two sacks. And, you know, being the leading tackler was and was actually uh, Jackson Martinez, number 76, getting it done in the trenches. And boy, did this team force a lot of fumbles. Jackson Martinez forcing two fumbles, definitely a playmaker of the week, candidacy level play here. And another forced fumble from Damian Lopez ends in three Monte Vista fumble recoveries. Keegan Genter with one, Kevin Cisneros once again contributing, but this time on the defensive side of the ball, and Alejandro Felix. Monte Vista feeling pretty good with this very close win over a solid Holyoke team without one of their better players. They will be playing the Badgers this next week. Back to some 2A action. Basalt here, they remain undefeated. They are now 10-0 on the season following this 45-24 win over Woodland, following a major first quarter that saw Basalt jump out to a 17-7 lead. They went in 24-14 at halftime, and that was basically as close as it would be. They scored 14 points at the end of this game to really put this away. Cage Schneider, 20-27 of 27 for 299 yards, almost 300, two touchdowns and two picks. And then one of our MVP candidates, Cooper Crawford, 16 carries, 127 yards, two touchdowns. Basalt, Getting past that first round, unlike they did last year, where I'd say that they were upset in that first round, but uh, playing very solid football, and they draw their toughest opponent yet of the season in Eaton. We will see how that goes. And then last but not least here, Alamosa beats Devlin High School. This was a showdown between two solid quarterbacks. Casey Jones having the last laugh going 17 of 23 for 240 yards and three scores here. And then RJ Mice here, 19 carries, 51 yards, leading the charge out of the backfield. Brant Jackson, 132 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns. Cade Jones having 70 yards of his own. Alamosa will advance to the next round. And before we talk playoff talk and talk about where we're all standing in our brackets and our points and yada, 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 let's go ahead and talk about everyone's favorite segment here, Playmakers of the Week, brought to you by Code Red Coaching, where the grind to greatness starts with the mind. Code Red Coaching, you can find them at coderedcoaching.com or go ahead and call 720-979-1914 today. That's 720-979-1914 or coderedcoaching.com today to learn. So, they bring us our Playmakers of the Week. Obviously, for everything except for 3A, these are all playoff performances, which does carry a little bit of weight in deciding it and is pretty exciting in the first place. So let's go ahead and talk about our candidates for Playmaker of the Week on the 5A level here. There were some pretty good ones and honorable mention to DJ Bordeaux, who is in the conversation as a freshman, 19 of 30, 326 yards and three touchdowns to no picks in Thunder Ridge's 38 to 10 win over Doherty. That is super impressive. And there's a couple of quarterbacks on here. Tavion Tooley here for Fountain Fort Carson. Also, shout out to the receiver Darian Martin here for Fountain Fort Carson, who had 116 yards and two receiving touchdowns. But Tavion Tooley went ballistic. 10 of 16, 204 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. And then on the ground, adding on another 10 carries 
for 84 yards and two scores. So a six touchdown performance from Tavion Tooley in Fountain Fort Carson's home win over Eagle Crest. Can't talk about playmakers of the week without talking about Rock Canyon's very own Aiden Duda. 43 carries for 341 yards and all three of Rock Canyon's touchdowns in their win over Cherokee Trail here. Absolutely ballistic, insane game from Aiden Duda, but nothing that he's not used to. It's the 43 carries that's just absurd. But I think that I'm going to have to give it to the 19 seeds win over the 14 or 15 seeds uh, on the road, I should say. Jake Jones's performance for Chatfield, 15 of 17, 260 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and four carries for 15 yards and a touchdown. Literally scored every single touchdown for this team here. A lot like Tavion Tooley. However, I got to give them props because I thought Fairview, well, Fairview was the favorited team here on the pod. They were the favorited team on the state, and they had to... You know, they had to win this one on the road. They had to survive that, you know, weird power outage thing. But Jake Jones just looks so surgical on this Fairview Knights defense. So I'm going to go ahead and give the 5A Playmaker of the Week brought to you by Code Red Coaching to Jake Jones of Chatfield. In 4A, we have a couple of pretty good options here. Look, you got Corbin Rowell of Fruita Monument, this 9 seed taking care of business against Grand Junction Central. He had 23 carries for 149 yards, two scores, and passing-wise went 4 of 8 for 63 yards, a touchdown, and a pick in Fruita's 35-21 win over Grand Junction Central. Hopping down south here for this next guy is Isaiah Jones of the Mesa Ridge Grizzlies. He went pretty hard hard in this game 28 carries 224 yards and two touchdowns in their playoff win over monarch however i'm gonna have to actually use gideon's eye here and go with gideon's guy or selection for player of the game playmaker of the game in that windsor versus bear creek game chase thomas nine carries 91 yards two of two for 11 yards passing three receptions for 102 yards and a score as well as 88 kickoff return yards and a 72-yard kickoff return touchdown in Windsor's playoff win over Bear Creek. I especially feel obligated to do this since I did choose against Windsor in that game, and Chase Thomas being the spearhead of guys on that Wizard squad who proved me wrong. So congratulations, Chase Thomas, for a Playmaker of the Week, brought to you by Code Red Coaching. On the 3A level, these are all guys in the last regular season of the game or last regular season game who really put it together here. Look, one of the guys that I have to talk about is from Palisade, one of the you know most fire teams coming into the 3A playoffs. Tyrus Despain here, 11 carries, 141 yards, and three rushing scores. So leading the charge for that Bulldogs rushing attack that is always so lethal. Not to mention having a 14-yard reception. And then on the defensive side of the ball, having three tackles and two pass deflections in what would be a playoff-clinching 42-8 win over Glenwood Springs. Look, Palisade, they were down but never out over the course of this season. And Glenwood, with that 16 seed, they went ahead and got a very quality win that skyrocketed them into the postseason. Speaking of wins that skyrocketed teams into postseasons, you can't talk about that without Harrison taking care of business over Sierra, getting the 15 seed. And in order to do that, Carlos Preciado here had 13 carries for 189 yards and four touchdowns in the 49-6 to 
bludgeoning of Sierra and clinching that 15 seed in the postseason. As for my 3A Playmaker of the Week, it's got to be another guy that PMC saw with their very own eyes this week. That seems to kind of be the pattern here thus far as we get to 3A. But I don't think it could go to anybody else other than Marcellus Honeycutt Jr. 11 carries, 301 yards, 4 rushing touchdowns, 143 kickoff return yards, making for a collective 444 yards on the day including a return touchdown and seven tackles in the 41-36 league-winning game against Frederick. It was pouring snow, and big players make big plays in big games, and Marcellus Honeycutt Jr. rose to the occasion and delivered, absolutely, for the league win and a higher seed in the postseason. Moving on to 2A football, this is back into the postseason here. There were some pretty good selections to go from. In a big upset of news, you have the quarterback, Cole Crocent here from University. He had himself a solid day, 14 of 16 for 146 yards, a touchdown a pick, and then 82 yards on 20 carries and a score. So scoring both of the touchdowns in, in University's 14 to 13 upset win over the Academy. In a not so upset win, Walker Martin went absolutely ballistic in Eaton's 59-14 beatdown of Bennett in the first round here, going 10-13 of 13 for 256 yards, 5 passing touchdowns, and then had another 6 carries for 97 yards and a score in that win, which is to be expected. But, you know, I am going to give the Playmaker of the Week here to Tanner Eide? Eide? Not entirely sure how to say your name, but you are our Playmaker of the Week. Brought to you by Code Red Coaching in 2A here. Tanner had five tackles, three of those being for loss, one sack, and two forced fumbles in TCA's 38-21 to win over Moffitt County here. And I think the really impressive part about this performance is that Moffitt County has one of the premier runners in all of Colorado football in Evan Atkin here. And to be a part of some of those fumbles was a really big deal here. And, you know, just being a part of a unit that held overall this Bulldogs team to just 4.6 yards per carry, including Evan Atkins to only 5.8, that is very impressive. And outside of a 74-yard gain, you subtract that from Evan Atkins' total, and he's nowhere near 100 yards. So, you know, that was a big deal for TCA to pull this away and shut down Moffitt County for the rest of the game following them trying to storm back at the end of the first half. So Tanner of TCA is your 2A Playmaker of the Week. And for 1A here, there are some really good options. Obviously, Austin Stockbrand here for the Centauri Falcons had 31 carries for 119 yards, a score, and then a tackle and an interception in their 26-14 first-round win over Gunnison here. That was very impressive, and Austin stepping up big time for this Falcons offense. And then a defensive candidate that we have here from Monte Vista is going to be Jackson Martinez. 12 tackles, two forced fumbles, and a pass deflection in Monte Vista's very narrow 28-21 win over the Holyoke Dragons to advance Monte Vista. But we got a, we got a little bit of a throwback here. We have a vintage, if you could call it that, Cole Kerr performance for 
the title of 1A Playmaker of the Week. He's partying like it was the regular season last year, going 7 of 11 for 59 yards through the air. But really, it was his 13 carries for 126 yards and four rushing touchdowns, along with his pick six on defense in that 52 to 20 win over North Fork that has Cole Kerr being your 1A Playmaker of the Week here, brought to you by Code Red Coaching. So let's go ahead and run it back and remind everyone that your 1A Playmaker of the Week is Cole Kerr of Wiggins High School. Your 2A Playmaker of the Week is Tanner Idy of TCA, a.k.a. the Classical Academy. The 3A Playmaker of the Week is Marcellus Honeycutt Jr. of G-Dub. The 4A Playmaker of the Week is Chase Thomas of Windsor. And the 5A Playmaker of the Week is Jake Jones of Chatfield High School. All of those Playmakers of the Week brought to you by Code Red Coaching. Find out more at coderedcoaching.com or call 720-979-1914. That's 720-979-1914 or coderedcoaching.com today. And Code Red Coaching bringing you Playmakers of the Week. Following this break, we are going to go ahead and start talking playoffs. All right, y'all, welcome back to the Playmakers Corner. Thank you for your patience here as I had to catch my breath from last week's recap and Playmakers of the Week. If you're just now tuning in, go ahead and check those uh, recaps out for more exact reporting of what happened in those games as well as our Playmakers of the Week. But on this part of the episode, we are going to start talking about playoffs, addressing our picks slash our brackets and whatnot on a classification by classification basis. So actually what we're going to do here is start with classification 1A here, go through what happened in the bracket, where our brackets are currently at, and how much of a percentage can still be correct here. So in 1A, we have a pretty close running here. You know, currently not to brag, but I am in the lead at 86.7% of my possible brackets to be corrected, uh, to still be correct. Simon is at 12 of 15, which is 80% that are still possible to be right. And Gideon here is hoping for some of our brackets to be crashed just a little bit as his is sitting at 73.3%. And then the way that we score it points wise is round by round. We're going to go ahead and do predictions, right? So based off of our first round predictions, Coach V has seven points, I have seven points, and Gideon in 1A has six points. So we're keeping it pretty close in 1A here, and we're going to go ahead and jump into our Week 12 playoff predictions on a 1A by 1A basis. And just as a reminder for the games that occurred, Lyman, number one seed, beat 16 seed Flatiron, Flatirons Academy 42-14. Eight seed Monte Vista outlasted 9 seed Holyoke 28-21. 13 seed Colorado Springs Christian upset 4 seed Buena Vista 21 to 18. 5 seed Yuma beat 12 seed Rye 42 to 6. Number 2 seed Strasburg beat the 15 seed Burlington 41 to 7. 7 seed Centauri beats number 10 seed Gunnison 26 to 14. Ray the 6 seed beats Meeker the 11 seed 34 to Zill and the 3 seed Wiggins beats the 14 seed North Fork here. So in the second round, we have Lyman versus Monte Vista, Colorado Springs Christian versus Yuma, Strasburg versus Centauri, and Wiggins versus Ray. Wiggins Ray definitely being the one to circle on your calendar if you can make that one here for sure. But let's go ahead and start with Lyman and Monte Vista here. 
and see where everyone is at. So I'm going to go ahead and start with my own here. Look, I had Lyman making the championship and I am not going to waver on that. And my reasoning is Lyman until they lose. They've just been dominant and gotten it done against everyone so far this season. Now, Coach V says, quote, Lyman, Monte Vista will get D'Angelo Archuleta back, who will give them a pretty big boost. But I got to go with Lyman, who has continued to dominate this season. If any team was to beat Lyman, though, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Monte Vista, end quote. And then for Gideon, he says, quote, as expected, the Monte Vista versus Holyoke game was close, while the Lyon, Lyman Flatirons game was not that. Monte Vista's Kevin Cisneros actually came in and killed it and helped carry the load while D'Angelo Archuleta was out. With Archuleta back, I see MV putting up a fight against Lyman, but not winning. Lyman beat the same Holyoke team by 33, and MV only beat them by 7. Granted, their MVP candidate was out, but still, Lyman, 49, Monte Vista, 35. And then, I need to actually look, my original score prediction for this game because I did have Monte Vista winning in that first round over Holyoke. So I actually have a score prediction for this game according to my original bracket, which was Lyman winning 42 to 21 over Monte Vista. I just see them continuing to be very dominant. So that's three votes for Lyman. Monte Vista, we'd love if you proved us wrong um, as long as we're being respectful and whatnot. But, uh, you know, we're not rooting against anybody. We're just picking Lyman here. Now, for Yuma at Colorado Springs Christian, we're going to go at, I'm going to say that, you know, just like Buena Vista, where I originally had Yuma beating Buena Vista, I do feel that Yuma matches up with CSCS very well with a really tough secondary that's hard to gain yards on. And also, I feel like Yuma is a very control-the-clock kind of squad this year, and I think that that's going to play in their favor here. Now, Colorado Springs Christian, they do have that momentum on their side, and the game, I'm pretty sure, might end up being in Colorado Springs, as a matter of fact. So, you know, that does add an interesting wrinkle here, for sure. But, you know, I, I think that it's worth noting here that Yuma has put together an incredible football season, and, uh, you know, they've been able to perform both at home and on the road. So I'm going to stick with my guns on Yuma. Now, Simon says, or Coach V says, quote, Yuma, as much as I could be a homer here, I think Yuma is one of the toughest teams in the state. And I think they match up well with this squad. CSCS will need to play a clean, clean game to win this one, which they're capable of. This should be an instant classic type of game and should be close. And as for Gideon, Gideon says, quote, CSCS upsetting BV was not expected, but not surprising either. Nathaniel Tonison is a beast. Jace Velasquez is a pleasant surprise. And Ashton Lofton is really good. So there being the only upset in 1A is not the biggest shock. Yuma, on the other hand, just beat Rye 42-6, who CSCS actually lost to earlier this season. Yuma will definitely be studying the film from that game. However, Yuma's offense is ground-based. Nash Richardson only attempted one pass against Rye, and the rest of the O was either Richardson or Ethan Googlin running it. I can see a team with a strong run defense like CSCS winning this matchup. Due to momentum and run D, I will give this to CSCS by a slight margin. CSCS 21, Yuma 20. So, that gives us two votes here for Yuma to win this matchup here. And Gideon being the vote for CSCS here, 2-1 to one on that matchup. But 
as Coach V and myself said, wouldn't be surprised if the momentum for CSCS really rolls this together and they get to play at home. But, uh, you know, after betting against Yuma to start the season, they have won my bet over at least for this game. In our next matchup, I should probably be saying when these games are, by the way. The Lyman one is on the 12th, which is Saturday at 1 p.m., and that's going to be in Lyman. The 11-11-6 p.m. matchup between Colorado Springs Christian and Yuma will actually be in Colorado Springs. So there's a couple of interesting notes there. Moving forward, Strasburg and Centauri. That is going to be on Saturday at 1 p.m. in Strasburg at Winter Field here. And, you know, this was a projected matchup for me following the first round with Strasburg winning and with Centauri winning. My points not being too far off, by the way. I predicted Strasburg to win 48-6 to against Burlington, and they won 41-7, to so I'll take it. But anyways, I digress. You know, I have Strasburg winning this game. They just have so many different weapons and areas to win. Whether, But it's more like... I think that the Centauri Falcons' path to victory seems a little bit more narrow, honestly, than Strasburg's victory. I originally predicted this game to be 35 to 23. I think that 35 to 29 might be a little bit more likely with a late rally from Centauri, similar to one that we maybe saw from Wiggins. But I think that this one, similar to Wiggins earlier in the regular season, does fall just a hair short here. Coach V says, quote, Strasburg. I'm sticking with the OG pick here and going with Strasburg. Centauri is well coached and will put up a good fight, but I think Strasburg can be versatile enough here on offense if it comes down to one last drive to win the game, end quote. So Simon and I both, you know, giving the edge to the side of versatility for the offense here. Now, this might be a different story if Devin Brady was healthy, but just a bit of a shame on that one and bad luck. Now, Gideon has, quote, I have Strasburg winning this. Centauri is good and their offense is evenly distributed, but against teams like BV, Florence, and Monte Vista, BV being Buena Vista, they struggled. The only team that Strasburg has lost to is Lyman. The closest that Marrero's team has let a game be since September is 34 points. Centauri is a defensive-minded team, so if Josh Polsowski and his crew have a per perfect game, they'll be in good shape. Otherwise, Strasburg takes this one 35-21. Now, that was almost my original prediction for this game as well. But we got 3-0 for Strasburg. As always, Centauri and the Fast Break Falcons. If you prove us wrong, we'd love to see it here. And uh, it'd be quite exciting. They are the defending state champs until they are knocked off. So do keep that in mind. Now, for the last matchup of 1A here, we have a rematch of the regular season. We have the three-seeded Wiggins Tigers and the six-seeded Ray Eagles here. Now, I am going to go with the Ray Eagles here. I was really surprised at Ray's loss to Wiggins earlier this year. Casey Midcap had basically the worst game of his entire year in that one, and I think that he's going to bounce back. He had a very solid game in that first round against Meeker here. I think that this Ray team is going to come out a lot more confident and a lot more aggressive, and I am going to pick them to win this game. I originally picked them to win this game 21-20. to Obviously, I can see Wiggins winning this one, even maybe even 22-21 to or something silly like that, um, but... Uh, yeah, I'm still on the prove it or lose it train for Wiggins here. Unlike my uh, co-host here, like Coach V, who says, quote, Wiggins, this game will be closer the second time around, but I trust Wiggins to play a clean game. I'm looking at all the Wiggins seniors who have started for so many seasons to step up when it matters and get it done here, end quote. 
And then for the Gideon side of things, he says, quote, this one will be interesting. Two defensive playmaker of the year candidates facing off until Wade and Pepper Rusher, offensive playmaker of the year and MVP candidates in Cole Kerr and Julio Flores as well. Of the teams on this side of the bracket, I think Ray would be the one to beat Wiggins as they're the ones who managed to contain Lyman this year. However, Ray did lose to Wiggins 28-14 to close the regular season. A third of the teams that Wiggins has lost to have been close games, and the other was Lyman. I see Ray learning from their mistakes, but still losing, albeit narrowly. Wiggins 29, Ray 28. So both Gideon and I projecting one-point games here. Two votes for Wiggins and one vote for Ray. Obviously, best of luck to both teams heading forward. And yeah, that does it for our 1A segment here, which brings us to the 2A bracket here. And let's go ahead and talk about how our brackets are doing. 2A was easily the roughest, absolute roughest one for any of us here as, you know, there were a handful of upsets and there were actually three upsets, I want to say, in this one. So with the percentages of brackets that could still be right, Coach V is currently leading at 53.3%. Meanwhile, myself and Gideon are both sitting at 40%. And points-wise, as a reminder, one point for each game correct here. Myself and Coach V both have four points from 2A, as does Gideon. So those points are scored a little bit differently than the percentage of brackets. For those trying to keep track at home, that is Coach V at 11 points, myself at 11 points, and Gideon at 10 total points. But let's go ahead and talk about the matchups here in the 2A bracket. So in 2A, as a reminder, number one seed Delta beat the 16 seed Berthed 42 zil. Number eight seed Alamosa beat number nine seed Devlin 27 to seven. The four seeded Classical Academy beat the 15 seed Moffat County or the 13 seed Moffat County, my apologies. Five seeded Academy lost to 12 seed University 14 to 13. That was the upset on the upper half of the bracket. Now the bottom half of the bracket was a little bit of mess following the two seed Eaton's win over 15 seed Bennett, 59 to 14, and Basalt's 45 to 24 win over 10 seed Woodland Park. It got real messy near the bottom here. The 11 seed Montezuma Cortez beat the seven seed, or the six seeded Elizabeth Cardinals, 21 to seven, and then the Rifle Bears won 14 to seven over the three seeded Florence Huskies here. So that makes the next week's matchup between Montezuma Cortez and Rifle one of the more interesting ones. And so for me, I am going to go with Rifle. You know, they're a tough team with a really solid football culture. And, you know, while both these teams pulled off big upsets, I'm going to err on the side of the squad who has won state more recently. And, you know, I think is really starting to get their feet underneath them, following a little bit of instability from, you know, the pandemic and coaching changes and stuff like that. I think that Rifle is going to stabilize here and get the win over Montezuma Cortez. Now, Coach V says, quote, Rifle, I did not anticipate this matchup at all, but I'll give credit where it's due. I'll go with Rifle, who beat them in the first game of the season, end quote. Now, for Gideon here, Gideon puts, quote, I honestly have no idea what to think here. I thought that both of these, both of these teams would be goners, but evidently not. My apologies to the Panthers and the Bears. Rifle came out early against Florence and punched them in the mouth. They slowed down the game to their pace and firmly said no. Montezuma Cortez was down at half, but scored 21 in the third to win it. 
Either way, we'll have a fun Final Four, but I can see Rifle controlling the game for a more sustained period of time than Montezuma Cortez. Both teams have a fairly equal chance in my book, but I'll give this one to Rifle 28 to 21. So that's three votes for Rifle in this matchup that is going to occur on Saturday afternoon at 1 p.m. And I believe that this game is actually going to take place in Montezuma Cortez. So that is a long drive for Rifle here. But it's good news for whoever wins the Eaton and Basalt game because I'm pretty sure that means that either one of those teams that wins will get a home game, I think, and not have to go to Montezuma Cortez. Not entirely sure here, but let's go ahead and jump into it. And, you know, for me, Basalt is the undefeated team, uh, undefeated team of the two here, but Eaton has been here before and is absolutely stacked. I'm going with E here. And, you know, I even chose Eaton in my original prediction here. Looking at my bracket, the score prediction that I had for this game between Basalt and Eaton was Eaton winning 33 to 26. I think that Basalt can play a pretty close game here. And out of anyone on this side of the bracket, I think that they have the best chance of beating Eaton uh, with what they're able to do up front and with the balance that they have. But I just don't know if they've seen a monster quite like Eaton so far this season. Simon, a.k.a. Coach V, goes, quote, Eaton. Eaton is no stranger to high-powered offenses. The only difference is that this week, Morgan Trebet will return after basically a week of rest. Eaton will enter this game at full strength. And then for Gideon here, he says, quote, As one of two undefeated teams remaining in the bracket after a big win over the solid Woodland Park, I see Basalt coming into this with momentum. However, Basalt will have to drive four and a half hours to get to Eaton. I was wrong about Montezuma Cortez and Elizabeth, I will admit, but the Reds will be the best opponent that the Longhorns have faced all year, and I think Eaton will pull it out, but Basalt will put up a heck of a fight. Eaton 35, Basalt 30. So that's three votes for Eaton here, but once again, Basalt, if you prove us wrong here, no worries at all, as they are, like Gideon said, one of two undefeated teams in this bracket here. Now, looking ahead here, we have TCA and University here. And, you know, I'm going to go with TCA here. I wish nothing but good health to uh, University's uh, very own Baxley, who did suffer an injury. And I think that that is going to be a really huge hit for a defense that is usually just so sharp. I still think that they're going to pose some problems to TCA. And, you know, I like their odds, you know, more. I like University's odds to beat TCA more than I liked the Academy's odds to beat TCA. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, the Bulldogs, they could prove me wrong for the second week in a row for the second year in a row. And, uh, you know, I'd be totally stoked for them. But uh, we will see on that. Coach V says, quote, TCA. I'm rolling with TCA, but I'll definitely acknowledge the fact that this can be a trap game for them. University has been playing great football and TCA has historically fallen short in the playoffs before, end quote. And Gideon here in the 4 and 12 seed goes, quote, University stunned a lot of the state with an upset over the Academy and Isaiah Elliott this past Friday. I see them carrying momentum but not beating TCA. TCA is just too good of a team, and personally, I am surprised they ended up as the 4 seed. It will be closer than the seeding, but I trust Andrew Brown and Ethan Aragundi to get it done. I would not be shocked if Cole Crossant, Logan Getting, and Kian Baxley get it done, and I expect it to be close, but I see TCA winning more often than not. TCA 27, University 21, and we know that Baxley is not in. So there's that on that matchup. And now for the one and eight seeded game, Delta and Alamosa. 
Delta, enough said. I don't really have anything else to add on. I just don't think that Alamosa is in the same league as Delta. And, you know, Alamosa in their losses this year, you know, have not performed super great against better teams. They lost to Florence 42 to 20. They lost to TCA 42 to 14. And they lost to Pueblo Central. That was a 3 8 team 40 to 29. But I think that, you know, TCA and Florence bring a lot of what Delta will bring, except Delta is really battle-hardened and I think even a little bit more talented in some areas than those squads. So I think Delta, at least in my original projections, even though I had DeEvelyn being the one who made it, I still think that a final score of 42-14 to or 42-21 to or 28 would be fair to say for this one. Coach V says, quote, Delta, as great as Alamosa played against Devlin, there is a big difference between that defense and an extremely talented Delta defense, not to mention an offense that is now at full power, end quote. And Gideon says, quote, so Alamosa versus Devlin wasn't as close as I thought, but it was still Alamosa on top. However, I stick with my original prediction that Delta beats Alamosa every day of the week, week of the month, and month of the year. Delta 49, Alamosa 14. So that's three votes for Delta. Alamosa, if you prove us wrong, that's that's cool or whatever. But uh, yeah, those are our predictions and point recaps for classification 2A. And now that brings us to the one that we all had to wait for in Colorado 3A football here. And, you know, before I talk about Gideon and I's bracket, I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Coach V for the one audio insert from this weekend. Simon, take it away. What's good, y'all? My name is Simon Voyanos, a.k.a. Coach V, and this is my 2022 3A Colorado High School football playoff preview here. I'm going to go ahead and read off the bracket that I put together here based off of, obviously, the 2022 3A playoffs bracket. Uh, I also predicted scores, so I'm going to talk about that as well. So I'm going to go through my entire bracket and then talk about the first round here and really focus on that. And so here we go. The first matchup I'm going to talk about is number one, Roosevelt versus number 16, Discovery Canyon. I have Roosevelt easily winning 49 to zero. Next one is number nine, Evergreen versus number eight, Thompson Valley. I have Evergreen winning 21 to 20. Like I said, I'll come back and talk about the first round matchups here and go a little bit more in depth. Um, after that, we got number five, Green Mountain versus number 12, Resurrection Christian. I have Green Mountain winning 24 to 14 in this one. Then we got number 13, Palisade at number four, Northridge. I have Northridge moving on and winning 28 to 17. Then I got number three, Lutheran versus number 14, Pueblo East. I got Lutheran winning 35-21. Then number 11, Frederick versus number six, summit here uh i have frederick winning 24 21 then i have number seven holy family versus number 10 george washington i have g-dub winning 21 to 17 and then i got number two durango versus number 15 harrison i have durango winning 28 to 17 so there you go that's the first round here in the second round we got number one roosevelt versus number nine ever evergreen i have roosevelt winning 38 21 in that one so there you go and moving on to the next round then we got number five green mountain versus number four northridge i have northridge winning 24 21 over green mountain then we got number three lutheran versus number 11 frederick uh lutheran i have them moving on winning 28 to 20 
Then finally, we got number two Durango versus number ten George Washington. After Durango winning twenty-one to fourteen and moving on, so there you go. Now here in the semis, I got Roosevelt versus Northridge, number one. Roosevelt versus number four Northridge. I have Roosevelt winning twenty-four to seventeen to move on to state. And then in the other one, I got number three Lutheran versus number two Durango. I got uh, Lutheran beating Durango 24-21 and going on to state. And then finally at state, it's Roosevelt and Lutheran. Uh, I have Lutheran winning a close one here, 28-24. Now real quick, if the score that I predicted, and by the way, you can look at my bracket on Instagram, it should be posted there, or you can follow along on Max Preps. But if the score that I predicted is you know within one score in my opinion uh, how i see it that means that i really truly believe that that game could go either way like it's a 50 50 chance that either team could win in my mind if it's a one score game but obviously i gotta pick one team to move on so there you go if it's two scores you know there's obviously a lot of uh nuance there i mean i could feel like well you know maybe they score garbage time touchdown to seal it or maybe it wasn't that close of a game or whatever but regardless it wasn't a blowout and so just keep all of that in mind i'm just going to be completely honest with you before i talk about these first round matchups i look at the top five and i could definitely see either like any any of those teams in the top five winning the top five being roosevelt uh green mountain northridge lutheran um durango you know i could really see any of those teams winning state that's what i mean by that you know not just winning in the first round but winning state so that's how i feel about the top five in the top 10, I could really see any of those. Really, I mean, even I could even expand it to the top 12 here. I could really see any of these teams um, going to state. I'm looking at Frederick. They could make a magical run here. Um, Resurrection Christian, they're really young and inexperienced, but they could definitely make a run. I wouldn't be surprised if Thompson Valley could potentially make a run just upsetting teams, but they do have to face Roosevelt eventually, so I don't even really know about that um i'm same with summit holy family george washington is another team i could see making it to state and potentially winning it and once you get to state then really there's a solid chance you can win it there's already a 50 50 chance you know uh so there you go and then some of these later seeds i mean i'm looking at palisade um harrison you know pueblo east uh, i i wouldn't even count them out that much either to be honest with you i i could see them making a deep run as well but you know they gotta play near perfect football in my opinion to do it so there you go i think these 3a playoffs are gonna be really close and there's a good chance that this bracket is not right at all and i'm gonna admit that right now um compared to 1a 2a 4a 5a i feel pretty confident about those but there's a good chance that this bracket is just not right at all. So there you go there. But let me go ahead and talk about my uh, first round matchup. So first, Roosevelt versus Discovery Canyon. I'm going to be honest. I didn't think Discovery Canyon was going to make the playoffs. I would have probably rather see Pueblo Central or Meade make it in here. Uh, just going to be completely real with you because I don't think Discovery Canyon has their starting quarterback, Trevin Alasio. And so... I feel like he gives them their best bet at beating Roosevelt, but since he's not even there, I don't think, then 
whatever. I I just have no Roosevelt. This is one of the few playoff games where I really feel like Roosevelt should absolutely win, no questions asked. And so I have them winning big. So no surprises there. Now in this next matchup, I got Evergreen versus Thompson Valley. Winner plays Roosevelt here. Uh, look, Thompson Valley has not been that bad this season. In my opinion, they're kind of they're a little bit of some sleepers over there. I mean, you know, went six and four. But you look at some of these losses. I mean, they only lost 13 to seven to Summit here. Uh, played Loveland, which you know is a top tier 4A team, which I don't think they were ever gonna beat. But you know, they played him, so that's one of their losses. And then they played Northridge, who they only lost by 10 to. And then they got blown out by Roosevelt here. I really think Thompson Valley is one of those teams that has the ability to make it into the next round here. So, there you go. Now, in my opinion, I feel like Evergreen is more talented. I think they're more talented uh, just across the board here. But my thing with Evergreen is that I have some serious doubts about the coaching staff. I don't doubt the players. I love Tommy Pahorski, love Russ Woodward, I love all those guys over there. But historically speaking, when it comes down to Evergreen in big games, not only this year, but in the past couple years in the playoffs, they just haven't done well. If Evergreen wins this year, this would be the first time they move on to the second round in, in kind of a bit, you know, because they obviously didn't do it in 2020 or 2021. So there you go there. I, I just have some doubts about the coaching staff. You know, and even at the games that I went to this year, there were some calls where I was like, ah, uh, I don't know. I don't, I really don't know about what you're calling there, coach. And so uh, I'm more concerned about the coaching staff having to be sharp. And so I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to Evergreen here and have them just barely moving on by one point. But like I said, if I predict the score within, you know, one score, one touchdown, or whatever, then I really believe that it could go either way. And that's what I truly believe in this matchup here between Evergreen and Thompson Valley. So there you go there. Now, in this next matchup, we got Green Mountain versus Resurrection Christian. Uh, two programs kind of in different spots here. Green Mountain, I mean, they basically returned their entire roster from last year. Uh, a roster that only lost 14-0 to to the eventual state champions in Fort Morgan. And, you know, they've kind of been rolling. They did have that close game against Evergreen here where they won in double overtime 24-23. to Great goal line stand. But other than that, they've been basically blowing out everyone on their schedule. And like I said, they are very experienced. They've played with each other for a while here. While this Resurrection Christian team, I mean, they've scheduled a pretty tough schedule, especially out of state. And so I respect that a lot. But they are relatively young, I would say. They're definitely a younger squad here. Um, not, I, I mean, well, really nobody has had 3A playoff experience. So there you go. But regardless, it's a talented squad. You know, I know they got blown out by Northridge here, but that's a good Northridge team. You know, they lost them 35-6. to And so, honestly, I'm going to have to go with Green Mountain. I have them winning 24-14. to They're just a very experienced group, and they're not going to make it easy on anybody. This Green Mountain team might be one of the most dangerous teams, and I almost had them going to the semis to be honest with you. And so I have them winning for now. I wouldn't be surprised if Resurrection Christian wins. 
Uh, but they got to really dig deep and play their best game of the season. I mean, every game you play in the playoffs has to be your best game of the season. But against an experienced Green Mountain team that has played with each other for at least two years now, uh, some of them even longer, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And so... Um, it's going to be a hard-hitting game regardless. This should be a good one, though. But I have Green Mountain moving on. This is solely for experience. I think Rez is honestly probably a year away from being a legitimate, um, like a contender I could truly, truly buy into. Um, I could buy into them being a contender. You could probably talk me into it, but I don't think I could truly do that. Uh, if that makes any sense. But um, anyways, moving on to the next first round matchup. We got number 13 Palisade at Northridge. Northridge hosting a playoff game. That is huge for them here. Uh, Palisade, they're going to have to make the trip. Honestly, Palisade was a team that I kind of felt like uh, should have had a better season. Honestly, I mean, looking at what they did last year and all that stuff. I know they are. They did lose some players, specifically one to Wyoming, who was an absolute stud. But... You know, uh, it is what it is. And they just kind of didn't have as great of a season as I thought they could here. But they did play some pretty difficult squads. They played 4A, Grand Junction Central, um, opened the year against Roosevelt, so that sucks. That's tough. Only lost to them 35-18, to though. Then they played Delta, who they lost to 31-20. to I felt like that was a game you should have won. Then they played Montrose, lost to them 40-14. I'm not super mad at that. They beat 4A Golden, which is a playoff team, 36-35. So that really shows you where this Palisade team is as far as potential and talent. But then they lost to Summit 28-18, who I kind of feel like they're a better team than. Um, you know, closer game, but they still lost to them. Then, interesting enough, they lost to Durango only 7-0. Really pushed them there. And Durango, I think that was their closest win of the entire season. So, there you go. And then after that, they ended the season with a 42-8 dub against Glenwood Springs. That would basically kick them out of the playoffs. So, Palisade is really a good squad. Kind of have had an up and down year. There are some games I'm looking at here. Like, I'm looking at Summit and Delta. And, to be honest with you, probably Green Junction Central too. Even they're a 40 team. Where I'm like... You could have beat that team. Those are all winnable games uh, there for you that I would have had you favored in. Uh, so, yeah, but, you know, it is what it is. They're going to go to Northridge and they're going to play them. Now, Northridge, you know, they've been kind of hot lately ever since losing to Roosevelt here. And so, uh, and plus they're at home. And so I'm going to have to go with Northridge. But I'm just going to be honest, this Palisade team is not going to be easy. They're going to be one of the toughest teams that they'll face all season here, you know. And so we'll see what happens. But I have Northridge winning 28-17 to Palisade. They like running the ball. They play great defense here. And so if you're Northridge, I mean, as long as you don't commit any turnovers and shoot yourself in the foot, you should be good. But if you do commit a couple of turnovers and then you find yourself down two scores, that is a horrible spot to be in, especially against a team like Palisade, who will be happy winning 14-0 if it comes down to it. Um, they will burn the entire second half if you let them. And so, we'll see. It's going to be a gut check for Northridge for sure here, moving forward. So, yeah. Moving on, though, we got Lutheran versus Pueblo East. I was actually at this game uh in the regular season where Lutheran traveled down to Pueblo to play Pueblo East and they 
absolutely demolished them. And just watching this game, I mean, I was trying to pick things out that were positive for Pueblo East. And there were a couple of things. Offensively, they had some great playmakers and had some great plays to score and keep it close. But Luther just looked like the better team straight up here. If Pueblo East was playing any of these other teams, I probably would have feel uh, felt better about it. But um, they're not. And so with Lutheran here, I mean, they have a high-powered offense. They have multiple weapons. I'm looking at the CCO brothers, Jaden Williams, Ryan Kenny, Ryan Doggart. They got a lot of dudes who could beat you. Plus, their defense isn't bad. They have a very strong linebacking core there as well. And so, uh, you know, I, it might be a close one because I know it will be Ryan Doggart's first playoff game as the starter here. And so if he has an absolutely horrible game, then there's definitely a chance Pueblo East could win it. But I still have Lutheran winning 35-21 to based off of that regular season game, the most recent matchup there. And I have Lutheran moving on. I, I have Lutheran moving on all the way through state and winning it this year because uh, that's how much faith I have in them and how much I really respect the offense and team that they have over there. So there you go. Now... Frederick versus Summit. This is one of the other first-round matchups. Uh, Summit is ranked higher. But I kind of like Frederick a little bit more here. I mean, they play a physical brand of football here. Uh, lost a close one to George Washington in a, in a blizzard, it looked like. But honestly, that's not even a bad matchup here. And so I know Frederick has to go to Summit. But I really believe Frederick could go ahead and beat Summit here. As I really don't think Summit has the weapons that George Washington had in Marcellus Honeycutt, Silas Evans, all those boys. Uh, that's just my opinion there. And so I really feel like Frederick should go into Summit motivated and win a football game here and move on to the next round uh potentially hosting Lutheran in the next round uh so there you go I mean as long as you don't have many fumbles make the most out of turnovers I think Frederick could beat Summit here so there you go uh still you know who knows Summit's gonna be at home they have a solid passing game you never know what'll happen all right, now moving on, we have number 7, Holy Family, versus number 10, George Washington. I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like George Washington's the better team. I think, you know, Holy Family, they're a perennial powerhouse, so that's cool. That's why they are ranked uh, up here. But, you know, Ryland Cooney, he's had kind of a difficult season, a lot of ups and downs. And it's not going to get easier because you have Marcellus Honeycutt and Silas Evans playing both ways. And if you have to throw against either of them who both run legitimate 4-4, 4-3, 40s, I don't know. I, I just don't know, to be honest with you. I really um, am not super confident in that matchup. And so I have George Washington winning and moving on. I think it will be a close one. You know, Holy Family, they're going to be in Broomfield. They're going to be hosting and whatnot. That's cool, you know. Uh, but I honestly think this G-Dub team is very, very talented and can definitely see a Cinderella run all the way to state. Um, so, yeah, there you go. And then the last matchup here in the first round, Harrison versus Durango. I got Durango beating Harrison. Once upon a time ago, I believe they're in the same league and whatnot. Harrison, I think they're going to put up a good fight. They're going to try to control the clock, run the ball, be physical, but they got to go down in Durango and do it. And that is a tough drive. That's a tough environment. And that's a tough team waiting to beat on them and so i have durango winning 28 to 17 here i don't think it's completely impossible 
for Harrison to beat Durango. But, you know, this is a tough squad that's going to try to run you into the ground as well. You know, they got the line to do it, led by their uh, Oklahoma commit, Joshua Bates. And then you have two stud running backs in Jerick Baruch and Zachary Haber. Plus, you have Tyler Harms, who has played extremely efficient football. And so... You got to force turnovers if you're Harrison, but Durango, I mean, they're at home. They're going to feel comfortable. They also had a week, by the way, because Battle Mountain forfeited to basically rest up. And so they're about as fresh as any other team in the state. So we'll see what happens. But like you said, this 3A playoffs is going to be really close. Uh, I fully expect for maybe half of this first round to be wrong just because of how close these teams will play each other and how small of a talent gap it is. In all of the levels of Colorado high school football, 3A has the smallest talent gap from team to team, at least in the playoffs, in my opinion. You know, because you really won't see, you know, a lower seed in any of the other playoffs, you know, make a run at state. In 3A, I could definitely see it. I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of talent here, and there's a very good coaching. A lot of these games will come down to coaching battles as well. It won't just be enough for players to play well. Coaches, they're going to have to be sharp. But we will see. Thank you, Coach V, on that recap here. And, you know, that bracket breakdown. And we got some more ahead for you. But I am going to go ahead and talk about Gideon's 3A bracket as well as his playoff predictions here i think that he's mainly going to talk about the first round here so i will go ahead and go through his first round here so in the first matchup number one roosevelt versus number 16 dcc gideon said quote roosevelt is insane with peterson breaking christian mccaffrey's reception touchdown record and likely to be the first ever colorado prospect to pass 50 receiving touchdowns they have some serious incentive to go crazy for this one DCC hasn't performed particularly well against teams at their own level this season, let alone against a team the caliber of the Rough Riders. Roosevelt, 49-14. Number two, Durango versus number 15, Harrison. Gideon said, quote, This is a matchup that is likely to be closer than the seating suggests. Harrison and Durango are familiar with each other, with them having played in the same league until this season. Additionally, Harrison has not lost since week two, so they have a good mojo heading in. They're... SOS isn't the best, but Durango is an opponent they're familiar with and they feel good. Strength of schedule isn't the best. They were technically the 18th seed on Saturday and won't take this playoff appearance for granted after missing them completely last year. Durango has good pieces as well, though, which you have to be, which you have to have to be the three seed. Tyler Harms has over a thousand passing yards. Jarek Baruch and Zach Haber share the rushing load, and the defense is extremely well balanced. I give this to Durango, but Harrison will make it closer than one might think here. He has Durango winning this one 35 to 27 on his bracket. Evergreen, number nine versus Thompson Valley, number eight. Both these teams are really good that are at about the same skill level. However, I have seen Evergreen have some questionable coaching moments. They took Tommy Poholski out of the game against Northridge with 20 seconds left, which I believe lost them the game. Evergreen and Northridge are at about the same level as our Thompson Valley and Evergreen. I trust the players. I'm just not sure I trust the coaching when the game gets close. Thompson Valley, 21, Evergreen, 18. In the Green Mountain versus Rez Christian game, Gideon says, quote, This year, Green Mountain went undefeated and Rez went 7-3. Let's look at the games against Severance. Rez closed the season against Severance, beating them 28-22. 
Green Mountain beat Severance 48-0. Green Mountain 49, Res 28. That's, that's all Gideon had to say about that. He said, let's look at this game where they played the same one and look at the difference between them. And he he's taking Green Mountain here. <clears throat> and number 13, Palisade versus number four, Northridge. Gideon said, quote, I saw Northridge play this year and they are really good. Palisade is more of a strength of schedule team. Both played Roosevelt and Palisade actually kept it closer than Northridge did. But outside of that, I know that the Grizzlies have a more talented roster than the Bulldogs. I see it being Northridge 31, Palisade 14. For Lutheran versus Pueblo East, he has Lutheran winning 35-21. For Frederick versus Summit, he has Frederick winning 20 to Summit's 18. And then number seven family versus George Washington. Gideon said, quote, George Washington is really solid. Celis Honeycutt Jr. is a darn good player, and they have 10 different players who have recorded 50-plus tackles this season. Rylan Cooney of Holy Family is good, but he is 12-13 to 13 on the season, TD tie and T. Damari Washington may have a field day as he leads GW in interceptions, and while Chase McNaughton is good, I do not see him single-handedly getting past the Patriot defense. GW 18, Holy Family 16. So now, with those scores in mind, I'm going to go ahead and fill in the rest of Gideon's bracket here in the second round according to his first round predictions here. So with him voting for Roosevelt and Thompson Valley here, he has Roosevelt beating Thompson Valley in the next round 35-18 to 18, to advance to the quarterfinals. For Green Mountain versus Northridge, he has Northridge favored by 1.24-23 over Green Mountain, sending Northridge ahead. In Lutheran versus Frederick, he has Lutheran winning 24-18 to send Lutheran to the next round. And for George Washington versus Durango, he has Durango favored 27 to 14 to send Durango. So he has the one, two, three, and four seeds in the quarterfinals. Once in the quarterfinals, he has Roosevelt favored over Northridge 28 to 21 to advance to state. Oh, those are actually the semifinals. My bad. My apologies. And then he has Lutheran favored over Durango 24 to 21 with Roosevelt and Lutheran being the two teams in state. And between the two, he is going to give Roosevelt the slight edge 28 to 24. Keep in mind, just like Coach V said for his segment, that, you know, depending on the score gap is how close he sees these teams in talent. So, you know, with Northridge and Green Mountain being 24 to 23, that game could go either way. With Lutheran to Frederick, 24 to 18, that game's pretty close. Durango 27 to 14, probably is pretty confident in Durango. With Lutheran beating Durango 24 21, that game could go either way, according to Gideon's thing so on so forth go ahead and stay tuned for our social media posts that has our brackets and just like coach v said this is going to be one of the hardest brackets to try and keep track of and i'm even nervous to read my own but that's exactly what i'm about to do here so let's go ahead and dive into it look in this first round it and just to echo coach v's sentiment once again this is going to be an absolutely nuts bracket i could legitimately see the one through 11 seeds winning this. I, I think Res Christian is a little too new to 3A. And I think that Palisade just, uh, you know, they've struggled against some top seeds this year. I'm also looking at Harrison Discovery Canyon. I don't really think they're contenders in Pueblo East. I don't think that they're going to beat uh, Lutheran here. So let's go ahead and go through the first round here. Roosevelt versus Discovery Canyon. I think Roosevelt takes care of business. This is one of the easiest, maybe the easiest prediction I had in the entire tournament. Roosevelt beating Disco 56 to 8. Now, Evergreen versus Thompson Valley. The thing, the issue here is that all three members of the pod have seen Evergreen play and have seen some questionable coaching decisions. On top of that, in that Green Mountain game, I saw dropped touchdown after dropped touchdown after big drop. These receivers have like stone hands 
And if it's cold outside, I just do not have a lot of confidence in them making plays against this Thompson Valley secondary and especially this front seven. But I do like I do like the core that Evergreen has a little bit more. I do like the quarterback. I think Tommy Poholsky is, well, he's easily a top 10 quarterback in the state. I have no problem saying that. Um, and it's definitely in consideration for our top five senior quarterbacks. So keep that in mind. And I think that that's going to give Evergreen the slight edge against Thompson Valley 24 to 22 with that score in mind. Obviously, I could see that going either way. And so I think that gives us a final kind of ranking here of, you know, two votes for Evergreen, one vote for Thompson Valley. Now, Green Mountain for Resurrection Christian. I have Green Mountain favored to win this one, 21 to 12. Green Mountain doesn't usually win games against close teams, super flashy, but they do win them very effectively and very efficiently here. And so I think that that's going to be the story against Resurrection Christian. They've been on a really bad slide these past few weeks. I think that they're going to come out a lot stronger than they have so far uh, these past couple of weeks, but I still think that Green Mountain is just a tier above and wins this score by just about two scores. And I think that's all three votes for Green Mountain. Now, Palisade versus Northridge. This is actually where I'm going to place my upset or my biggest upset in this bracket here is going to be with Palisade beating Northridge. I think that Palisade showed me a lot with that 7-0 loss to Durango, honestly. I think that they showed a lot of grit. And I think that, you know, I think all their players are going to be healthy. I think that they're finally dialed in. And I think that this is a team that, you know, really is that close to being a contender. Um if they had a little bit more balance on offense. And I think back to the one loss that Northridge has had this year was to Roosevelt, who had a dynamic rushing attack with a few guys that could make plays like Ryan Doucette and Xavier Ramirez. And if anybody has a plethora of playmakers out of the backfield, it is the Palisade Bulldogs who have Malachi Espinosa. They have Rhett Word. They have Phelan Salvati. They have now Despain, who was a Playmaker of the Week candidate, for 3A. And so I think that Palisade, I think that they're feeling really confident. I think they have a really good balanced approach as far as touches on offense. And I think that that's going to help them pull off a 13 to 10 upset over the Northridge Grizzlies, who just still have to show me a little bit more. On the bottom side of the bracket in this first round, I have Lutheran dispatching Pueblo East, much like they did earlier this season. Maybe even a little bit more dominant as I see them potentially keeping their starters in for a little bit longer. I think that they're going to win 48-14. to 14. Now, Frederick versus Summit. Look, I think that Summit is the better team. I think that they're better coached, and I really like Jack Shearholtz at quarterback. But they haven't played for three weeks, and I just think that's way too long. Versus Frederick just got out of a heartbreak loss to George Washington losing league. I think that they're going to use that as fire or motivation here. And I think that they're going to come out very fresh and, you know, just a bit more warm uh, than Summit here and win this game 23 to 14. That's three votes for Frederick, by the way, I think. Now, Holy Family versus George Washington. This is one of the hardest games to predict. I could easily see Holy Family winning this game. But Holy Family is another squad that I just haven't seen uh, play the toughest competition. I say that the closest game to compare this to is their win over Frederick at the beginning of the season, but I just think that George Washington has probably the best player in 3A football in Celis Honeycutt Jr., and they are riding an emotional high with that win over Frederick, where the refs did try and make them lose in that game, and I think that 
that combined with being able to use Silas Evans probably way more this week than they were able to in that win over Frederick is going to spell trouble for Holy Family here. And I have George Washington actually winning this one by a single point, 28 to 27. Don't be surprised if Holy Family is the one actually advancing to the quarterfinals though. Harrison versus Durango. I have Durango winning this one, 56 to six. Moving on into the second round here, Durango versus George Washington. Now Durango, they are just... I feel like with the way that G-Dub played against Frederick, that's like a preview of like a baby Durango team. Durango is significantly bigger. They are significantly stronger. They're significantly more imposing. And I think that that's going to be difference. And they are also, well, they might have to travel to Denver for that one, but I don't know if that benefits George Washington as much. I have Durango favored to win this one 38 to 26. Now, looking at Lutheran versus Frederick, I feel like Frederick and Lutheran are going to be clashing in play styles here. Lutheran, obviously, 12 seconds or less on that offense, maybe even 10 seconds if they can. Frederick, way more wing T, methodical, take 10 minutes on a drive. But I think that Lutheran is going to have a little bit more control. I think that they're just more battle-tested this year against really good teams, and so I think that Lutheran is going to get this dub against Frederick, 31-26. to Moving up to the top half of the bracket, Green Mountain versus Palisade. I see Green Mountain pulling off a very close win against a Palisade team that I think is built pretty similarly to them. Palisade, however, just makes a little bit more mistakes than Green Mountain has statistically over the season. And Green Mountain has lots of experience with lots of players who played together. I think that they win this one against Palisade 15-7. Roosevelt and Evergreen, look... Evergreen, I, I love Tommy to, to win that game, that first game. And obviously, they have other playmakers here. Uh, you know, Russ, he has a preferred walk-on to CU. And, you know, he's been getting inches from other states. They have a really solid running back in Zimmerman here. But I just think that the wide receivers against this Roosevelt secondary, I don't like their odds all that much. Um, and I like Roosevelt's backfield and balance on offense to keep the Evergreen defense a little bit more off balance. I think that they're a more prime version of Northridge, to be completely honest, and I think that that's going to be the difference. I think Roosevelt wins this one 31-22. Um, they just, they're like, they feel like the creek of 3A this year. Which, speaking of, in the second round, we do have an intense matchup between Roosevelt and Green Mountain. Now, Green Mountain like I said, is one of the better teams. I think that the five seed is a little bit disrespectful for this team that has gone undefeated, but I do think that Roosevelt can narrowly escape with a win here. I have Roosevelt favored to win this game 17 to 14. I really think this is the year that the Rough Riders and specifically Coach Lane gets that monkey off his back and wins state. Now between Lutheran and Durango, who do I think will face Roosevelt and state? Well, I think it could be either one. My, you know, trenches argument definitely favors Durango. I think that Durango actually has the best line in all of 3A. And part of that is definitely, you know, our guy, PMC fan member, Joshua Bates here, Boomer Sooner commit. And, you know, everything that that offense has been able to achieve. And I think they have a very nice balance on offense. However, um, you know, Lutheran here, I, I think that, you know, they're going to control the pace of this game a little bit more. And I think that they've tested themselves pretty well against a team that I can kind of compare to Durango. I think that Durango's offense is better ran. However, you know, Lutheran did face a Montrose squad this year. And I think that that was a really good way to challenge themselves. You know, on this eight and two season that they've put together, their losses are to an out-of-state Lutheran team and to Montrose. 
And I think that, you know, they're also undefeated on the road too. So I don't think that home versus away really matters so much for Lutheran. So I'm going to give the slight edge to the Lions to win this one 26 to 20. But don't be surprised if Durango wins this 28 to 26 or 26 to 20 flip the scores either way. Um, and so that brings us to state where I have Roosevelt and Lutheran here. And I think that this is actually going to be a really high scoring game. Uh, that's going to be super back and forth. I think it's going to be a chess match between two of the best coaches, not just in 3A, but in all of Colorado football. And I think that Coach Lane is going to finally get that elusive ring and bring Roosevelt to the promised land and get a 31-30 to victory over the Lutheran Lions. Obviously, when you have a score that close, I do see a world where, you know, it doesn't necessarily work out like that. And Lutheran is your state champion's Durango's your state champions. I'd say Lutheran, Durango, and Roosevelt are the favorites. And then after that, you know, I think that there's a couple of different ways you can go here, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see Green Mountain in the championship and potentially win it. If Evergreen can get out of their own heads, they're a championship contender. Thompson Valley has one of the best front sevens on both sides of the ball, um, or one of the best lines on both sides of the ball in 3A, I could see them potentially pulling off an upset against Roosevelt if they return to their getting upset early ways. I like George Washington. I, like I said, I think that they have the best player in 3A, and if they find creative ways to get him the ball, they're a team that can win. Holy Family, they're stacked on both sides of the ball, and if they can play smart and not turn the ball over, they're a team that can make the semis or even the finals. So just stay very tuned for what I think is going to be the most, well, I've said it before a thousand times, 3A is the most competitive and balanced level of football, and they're going to continue to prove that this year. Now back to our regularly scheduled program, and with 4A football here, we're going to talk about our percentages here in our 4A brackets, and you know, Gideon still has a 100% chance, or can still earn to a up to 100% accuracy on his bracket in 4A. Meanwhile, Coach V and I can earn up to 91.3% of our accuracy in our brackets. As far as points go, Coach V did get seven points, as did I in the first round. And Gideon was a perfect eight of eight in the first round, so he's trying to get that rally back. For those keeping track at home, that is Gideon with 18 points. That is Cody with 18 points, and that is Coach V with 18 points, keeping it pretty close and a lot of, I mean, really accurate, honestly, uh, to this point in the postseason. But let's go ahead and look to that next round of the postseason here in 4A. For those who didn't catch the first results, we'll go ahead and catch you up on that as we go. But in this very first game that we're looking at, we're looking at Skyline at Palmer Ridge. Skyline whooped up on Widefield 48 to 15 i believe that is in the first round of the playoffs here and so for this game just as i predicted in my initial you know bracket here i am going to still favor palmer ridge here to win this one uh fairly fairly confidently i have them winning 48 to 23 Coach V says, quote, Palmer Ridge, Skyline had an impressive performance against Widefield, but Palmer Ridge is built on defense to beat pass-heavy teams like Skyline. Palmer Ridge has great corners, safeties, and linebackers. Skyline will have to play a perfect game and some to beat Palmer Ridge. Now for Gideon here in this Palmer Ridge game, he says, quote, there is a reason that PR is number one. They've beat teams far better than Skyline this season and by a lot. 
Palmer Ridge 28, Skyline 10. So that's three votes for Palmer Ridge. However, Skyline, if you want to continue to prove us wrong, you know that we got mad respect for you guys. We've had our opportunities here. Moving on to the next game here. Fruit and Monument at Vista Ridge, 9 and 8 seed here. Look, I put in my original bracket, I took Vista Ridge, but I feel uneasy about that pick and am flopping to Fruta. Fruta runs the ball very well, and Vista's losses this year are to teams that beat them running the football. And I put upset alert. Coach V here put, quote, Fruta Monument. Vista Ridge is, you know, doing a lot of talking, and, you know, Fruta Monument is a battle-hardened team and will not go down easy despite having to travel to the Springs. There is a world where Vista Ridge wins at home, but at this point, you need to show me more than you tell me. Now, for Gideon's take, he says, quote, As a predicted, Fruta Monument whooped GJC pretty easily. Now onto the harder matchup. Fruta has been locking up elite quarterbacks all year, not quite Braden Dorman level QBs, but they've traveled farther and still done well against schools like Broomfield and Bear Creek. Jake Kimbrough will be crucial because if he has a bad game, I don't see Fruta pulling it out. Additionally, I have a friend who goes to Vista that says everyone but Dorman lets his status as a top QB get to their heads. I still have Vista winning this one, but if the pieces around Dorman play a sloppy game or rest on their laurels, I can see Fruta winning this one. Vista Ridge 24, Fruta Monument 21, end quote. In my original bracket, I did have Vista Ridge winning this one 21 to 19, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did win. But, uh, you know, I think that Fruta is one of the stronger teams this year and is a tough draw for the eight-seeded Vista Ridge. Now, Dakota Ridge jumping down to a different quadrant of the bracket. Dakota Ridge just beat Longmont and is facing Loveland. And I'm taking Loveland here. I think that they're just a different defensive monster. And the Eagles will have to travel north in tougher matchups this year. Dakota Ridge has not fared as well. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and roll with Loveland just like I have, you know, in the bracket. I predicted them to win 35 to 13. Coach V says, quote, Loveland, I have a lot of respect for Dakota Ridge, and after a beatdown of Longmont, I can see them beating a team like Loveland, but I'm sticking with Loveland winning on the backs of their defense, who has been great for years now. Now, Gideon says, quote, Dakota Ridge is good with them beating the 19 and 20 seeds in the past two weeks. However, in the past month, Longmont has beaten the, Loveland has beaten the 24 seed, the 16 seed, the 15 seed, and the 20 seed. Loveland has not only beat, but crushed teams that Dakota Ridge has beat by more than Dakota Ridge did. Let's take Loveland. Dakota Ridge beat Longmont 43-14. Loveland beat them 47-0. Loveland 38, Dakota Ridge 21. So that's three votes for Loveland here. But Dakota Ridge, you know, we got nothing but love for y'all. So if you do pull off an upset, that'd be pretty sweet. Especially, it'd be nice retribution considering I took you to state last year. But, uh, you know, go ahead and just play your game and uh, see where the rest of the chips fall. Now, the number five seed Montrose is awaiting Golden here. This is going to be at Montrose High School. And for me, I'm going to take Montrose. I think they're going to keep the ball out of Giselle Riley's hands. And, uh, you know, at some point in these games, when they start to fall down by a little bit, he starts trying to do too much. And I think that plays right into the Red Hawks play style here. Plus, I really don't think Golden beat Rampart by as much as they should have. And so that shakes my confidence a little bit. Now, Simon says, Quote, Montrose. Montrose plays an unforgiving brand of football, and I just don't see Golden being able to overcome that, end quote. And Gideon, let's hop over here. Gideon puts, the only non-playoff teams on Montrose's schedule were Coronado and Falcon, while Golden has had a couple more than that. Both teams are coming into this hot, but I think Golden may get an upset here. Montrose doesn't have any stats uploaded, so I don't know about specific players for them, but I know that Giselle Riley IV has been balling, and that the defensive load is really evenly distributed. 
I think this one will at least, at the very least, be quite close. And Gideon with the 21 to 18 upset alert for Golden. That's two votes for Montrose and one for Golden. Obviously, we wish all the teams the best of luck. In our next matchup, we have Windsor at Broomfield. I'm going to roll with my state champ prediction here, Broomfield Eagles. Also, shout out Cola Crew, who just committed to Wisconsin. Go Badgers. Go Cola Crew is my stance for this postseason. Now, Simon says, quote, Broomfield. Broomfield should go in and take care of business. They're going to have to out-hit Windsor, which I believe this team is more than capable of doing, end quote. And Gideon, who did get to witness Windsor in person last week, put, quote, if there's any team on this side of the bracket to beat Broomfield, Windsor is probably it. The Wizards scrimmaged Broomfield before the season and actually kept it fairly close. They did lose the scrimmage, but that was due to turnovers on offense, not to the fault of the defense. When I watched Windsor against Bear Creek, their defense had five guys that I could have named defensive playmaker of the game, and with TNT in the backfield, they're in good shape. Additionally, if Matt Zanger keeps completing good passes, Windsor has a chance. Broomfield is Broomfield, though, and they are undefeated for a reason. As I'm writing, this Cola crew will announce his commitment to Wisconsin eventually, so they have an elite QB. They played a tough schedule, so we'll see. I see it being 60-40 where Broomfield wins. Regardless, I think it'll be close if Windsor plays like they did against Bear Creek. Broomfield 21, Windsor 14, so that's three votes for Broomfield, but Windsor is a pretty tough draw, and uh, definitely the one that matches up better with Broomfield, I think, than Bear Creek would have. Now, in this next one, we have Pueblo West, and actually, no, we have Mesa Ridge and Heritage. And, you know, for me, I'm going to double back on my doubting of Heritage, who I think defensively matches up very well with Mesa Ridge on offense with a young quarterback at the helm. Heritage, I originally projected to win this game 26 to 13. Mesa Ridge might make it 26 to 17 or maybe even 26 to 20, but I still think that the Eagles should win this game and I will be attending this game. I'm trying to get over my Arapaho bias here. So just cut me a little bit of slack, Heritage community. Now, Coach V says, quote, Mesa Ridge, in my eyes, I believe this will be a close game, but I'm going with Mesa Ridge, whose offense has been hot the last couple weeks. Heritage will not go down easily at home, end quote. And then Gideon says, so I was right about Mesa and Monarch being closer than the seed, but still not close. Well, I think this may be the opposite. Mesa did beat Monarch, but they were in a relatively weak league where they lost to Montrose, who is of similar quality to Heritage. Additionally, Heritage closed out the season only losing by four to Broomfield, which is an accomplishment. I can see a world where Mesa wins it, but I see more where Heritage does the same. Heritage 35, Mesa Ridge 21, Gideon and I both feeling the Eagles by two scores, but Coach V rocking with the Grizz for this one. Best of luck to both teams. Pueblo West at Ponderosa. Now, in my original prediction here, I did take Pueblo West. I think that my bracket's about to get a little messed up. And, you know, following the close game against Stanley Lake, I'm just not as sold on the Cyclones pulling off a big upset. And I bet that the week off might be more helpful to the Mustangs than any team in Colorado. I'm doubling back on my bracket pick, and I'm going with Ponderosa. Coach V here says, quote, I'm sticking with Pondo to win a close one against Pueblo West, who will hopefully throw everything they have at them. I don't doubt the talent of the West players, but I don't see the coaches being able to call an efficient pass game. Ponderosa will gladly take that. That's why I have them winning. End quote. And now Gideon, who actually has Ponderosa winning his bracket, says, quote, the Cyclones have had a good season and their victory over Stanley Lake certainly has them riding high. Ponderosa finished their season with a dominant win over Bear Creek, who I know are no pushovers. Pueblo West also ended the season only losing by a touchdown to Montrose and have beat Stanley Lake. I think that Pueblo West, if they play a perfect game, could get an upset. 
Pueblo West has a much more evenly distributed offense than Ponderosa, with a lot more 200-plus yard receivers that Ponderosa has to guard, along with a bit more even of a defense. Ponderosa is still the favorite in this matchup, but I think the Cyclones will find the Mustangs taking it easy against just the 14 seed and work quick to put up a score. I think this will be a one-score game, but Pueblo West loses 24-28. to 28. So that's three votes for Ponderosa according to this. However, if, pa if Pueblo West does win, we see a world... I mean, I even saw a world where Pueblo West won by a single point in my bracket, so I would not be surprised if they managed to pull this off. Now, for our last matchup of the 4A bracket here, we have Erie at Denver South here. I, put, I chose Denver South in my bracket, and I'm taking them here. Searing Erie... Uh, Live, they just seem inexperienced where D South has a team that can make state. And Coach V says, quote, this will be an excellent game between two extremely talented squads. I have South winning on the backs of an offense that has only scored less than 32 points once this season, which they still won. So, and then Gideon here says, quote, another matchup with upset potential. Erie Rend ended their regular season with four straight wins, two of which were against playoff teams. Denver South hasn't faced a playoff team since September when they played Ponderosa. Erie absolutely crushed Air Academy this past Friday, and I think that momentum will carry forward. I still favor Denver South, but I expect Erie to make it a close one, if nothing else. Denver South 28, Erie 22. And I gotta be completely honest, on my end, this is one of the games that I could back. I, I think that my original score prediction of 42 to 30 is not a good one. I think that Erie matches up pretty well with Denver South if they get into a track meet here. Um, and I think that Denver South's physicality on defense has just been lacking a little bit. And I think that that is spelling a little bit of trouble for the Ravens who could find themselves on the wrong side of history to this Tigers team that really was just in state a year ago. So D South, watch out. Uh, Erie, look out for them as well. And that does it for our 4A predictions, products, placements, whatever you want to call it. And just as a reminder, so far, um, Simon and myself with seven points in the first round, Gideon with eight points. And as far as brackets go, this is these brackets are going the best for us currently, but those could certainly be shaken up here in this next round. And now for 5A, the people who are the most up in arms, but boy, did they deliver a crazy first round and one that has us very excited for this second round here. And so 5A, let's go ahead and dive into it here and just talk about our brackets. Look, uh, Coach V's bracket can still be 82.6% correct, which is the same with myself here. And Gideon's is sitting at 73.9%. Uh, that's partially thanks in part to the Pooter uh, loss for, for Gid the Kid here. But other than that, I mean, you look at the points from our first round here, we're still sitting pretty good. Coach V got six games right, so he has six points. I myself also got six games correct here. And uh, Gideon with five points is not that far behind. So total points and percentage here. Coach V and I tied at 24 points in first place and 75% correct so far. And Gideon at 23 points has been 71.8% correct so far. So we are right pretty more often than we are wrong here. And we're going to try and keep that up. But we will see here as we jump into the 5A part of this segment here. So this very first game, Fountain Fort Carson, who just beat Eagle Crest 42-14, faces number one seed Cherry Creek at the Stutler Bowl on the 11th at 7 p.m. 
I'm taking Jerry Creek. Look, FFC has really picked it up recently and could pose some challenges to a younger Creek offense, but Creek should still win. Originally, I had Creek winning 49-0. I don't think that's going to happen following Fountain Fort Carson's offensive explosion this last week, but I still think that Creek winning something along the lines of 48-21 to is pretty realistic. Coach V says, Cherry Creek... Creek has got a bye week to recover from their loss to Grandview. And while FFC had an impressive performance against Eagle Crest, who has plenty of talent, but Cherry Creek is a different monster. Fort Carson will put up a decent fight either way, end quote. Gideon put, quote, as I thought, FFC beat Eagle Crest handily. That momentum will serve them well moving forward, but with the rest time and seeing what FFC has to offer, Cherry Creek still has a 95% chance to win this in my mind. There's a world where FFC wins if they play a perfect game and CC comes in cocky and plays sloppy, but that is highly unlikely. Cherry Creek 42, found four cars in 21. So Giddy and I pretty much on the same page with the score there. Thunder Ridge at Arapahoe. And I put, you know, as much as I want my alma mater, go Warriors, roll tribe, uh, to beat Thunder Ridge for the second year in a row in the postseason, or how much I should want them to, this Thunder Ridge team looks the most complete it's been all year. And in my original bracket, I took them anyway over an A-Rap offense that feels too reliant on big plays that the Grizz won't allow. I have Thunder Ridge winning this one 17-14. Now, Coach V says, quote, Originally, I had Arapo winning 21-14, but there has been a development. DJ Bordeaux is the new starter at QB, and he impressed in his debut. This game should be that much more competitive and can go either way, but for now, I'll ride the hot hand and give it to Thunder Ridge as long as their defense stays sharp. Gideon here puts Thunder Ridge, quote, Thunder Ridge started DJ Bordeaux against Doherty and it worked pretty well. From what I've heard, their defense was uncharacteristically iffy, but if the defense plays a solid, plays solid and DJ plays like what he did, this game should go TR's way. Arapo has just played inconsistently against teams at their level this year. Thunder Ridge 35, Arapo 24. So that's three votes for Thunder Ridge. Look, if Arap wins, that's cool. I mean, I'd always love to see my alma mater maybe win a state ring here, but uh, you know, that's just that's just where it's at right now. In quadrant two, all of us got the Mountain Vista game wrong, and so Grandview will be waiting for Rocky Mountain here at Legacy Stadium. These This game is on Friday at 7 p.m. at Legacy Stadium. By the way, the Arapaho game is at LPS Stadium on Saturday at 5 p.m. I am hopefully going to be making that game. Now, for this Rocky Mountain at Grandview game, I think that Rocky Mountain is going to pose some more issues in the trenches for Grandview than Vista would have. But with a high volume offensive line getting rest, I think that the bye will give the Wolves the energy they need. Now, I had Grandview winning this game against Mountain Vista 28 to 27. I think that this game will probably be a little bit lower scoring of a game. So maybe Grandview winning something along the lines of like 27 to 17 or 14, something like that. Simon says, quote, Grandview, props to Rocky Mountain for winning in the snow and getting the upset. Unfortunately, Grandview should take care of business here, end quote. For Gideon, he says, quote, this is not one that I saw coming, but this is a matchup I can't appreciate. Grandview has an extremely strong run defense with Emkin and Kibby both having 100 tackles on the year and Leaf Green only being 12 behind. Grandview only has four interceptions as a team this year, which against a Rocky Mountain team is not bad. Chetia and Thomason are the main threats for Rocky. And while Thomason is a D1 talent, there's only so much one man can do blocking. Grandview, 42, Rocky Mountain, 18. So pretty big gap here for Gideon who has seen Rocky Mountain live and so I would like to err on the side of Gideon here that's three votes for Grandview but you know Rocky Mountain they could prove us wrong for the second week in a row and that'd be pretty neat 
Um, I was really high on Rocky Mountain heading into the season, and so maybe they'll just be the team that I thought they should be at the beginning here at the end. Legacy at Pine Creek, you know, as expected, Legacy throttled Arvada West, but I don't think A-West is a particularly good program. You know who I think is? Is Pine Creek. This secondary matches up very well with a Legacy squad that has gotten some big plays against undisciplined secondaries, but I think they'll find the Pine Creek defense to be a different monster. In my original bracket, I did have Pine Creek winning this one by a score of... Uh, where is this? 21 to 13. I think that it might even be something along the lines of like 24 to 13. Just don't see the Pine Creek deep offense necessarily going off against Legacy, but I think that the Legacy offense will be frustrated and will turn the ball over. Now, Coach V here puts, quote, call me a homer, but Pine Creek will be at home and thirsty for their first playoff win in 5A. I'm sticking with my original pick, and I have Pine Creek relying on their running game and tough defense to get to the next round. Now, Gideon here in this game says, quote, Pine Creek is a really solid squad, but so is Legacy, who showed their skill in a 41-0 win over A West. This is a world where Legacy wins, but the last time they played a team of PC's caliber, they lost 10-3. PC has played and beat teams of Legacy's caliber all year. It'll be a fun matchup, but I see Pine Creek winning it 34-27. So that's three votes for Pine Creek, but if the Lightning want to flip the script on us, we're here for it. Now, in this next matchup, Legend does beat, you know, Pooter in this first round to advance and face Valor Christian here. And so, for me, look, I'm going to go with Valor here just as I did in my bracket. Legend did show grit in their playoff dub over Pooter, but I just really think with the way all the weapons and pieces are coming together, Valor will just be a little bit too much here. I originally had Valor winning this one 42 to 20. I think that it'll be lower scoring than that. I think that 32 to 21 or 24 is a little bit more accurate here. So I'm going to adjust my score, but not my victor. Coach V put, quote, Legend escaped with a close win over Pooter in the snow. It may not be the prettiest win, but as long as Valor can control the trenches and play turnover-free football, they should make the next round. So Valor Christian. Gideon here says, quote, there's reason people joke about the 5A championship matchup always being the same. Nothing on Legend. Y'all are a good team, but Valor is Valor. Valor Christian, 42, Legend, 28. Now, for the 10 versus 7 seed, once again, congrats to Fossil Ridge on their first playoff win and in school history, but I'm not positive if the second one is on the way with how tough the Regis defense is. If the Sabercats can force turnovers, they have a chance, but I like Regis to advance here. Simon put, quote, Fossil Ridge may have Kubat back, but Regis is a more complete team in my opinion. Fossil Ridge is going to have to find a way to stop the Nebraska commit, Hayden Moore, who has been one of the more elite edge rushers in 5A. And Gideon here says, quote, Regis ended the season on a really low note, losing to FFC, and Fossil Ridge is coming off their first ever 5A playoff win. Tyler Kubat is looking amazing, Trek Keyworth is a beast, and Colton Pollock is one of the best pound-for-pound running backs in the state. While Alexander Carroll is a good passer and Regis does have some defensive players, in Nate Lewis, Hayden Moore, and DeAndre Barnes, I can see a world where either team wins. However, I'm going to have the Sabercats scraping it out over the Raiders 28-21. to 21. So that's two votes for Regis Jesuit and one vote for Fossil Ridge here. Now, Chatfield at Ralston Valley. Chatfield coming off of an upset win over the Fairview Knights, the game that I saw. Go ahead and listen to that recap to hear what happened. And now they face Rouson Valley for the second time. This is at the Northern Area Athletic Complex at 7 p.m. on the 11th. By the way, uh, the Valor Christian game is at 7 p.m. at Valor Christian Stadium. 
and the Regis game is at Lou Kellogg Stadium at Regis High School on the 11th at 6.30 p.m. But between Rustin Valley and Rustin Valley and Chatfield, I put, I've never been more nervous about a state runner-up pick than I am following watching Chatfield's dub over Fairview, but I'm sticking with my Mustangs pick and am very nervous and would not be the most surprised if the Chargers pull off an upset here. Simon put, quote, Rouston Valley, Chatfield put up a good fight against Fairview, but Fairview made mistakes that Rouston Valley simply won't. Rouston Valley will be looking to be as sharp as possible going into this game. And for Gideon here, he puts, quote, I'm happy that Chatfield won that game against Fairview. Nothing against Fairview, but Chatfield fan is one of my favorite Colorado high school sports accounts. Way better than most of the Barstool accounts, that's for sure. With Cade Thomas anchoring the defense and Jake Jones as your major offensive piece, Chatfield will make this game tough for Ralston. However, I have Ralston going to state their offensive firepower is extremely potent with Deano Bonalo playing out of his mind and Logan Madden having a revolutionary 1,776 passing yards on the season. The offense is really dynamic. And with 850 tackle guys, Ralston's defense is much more balanced than Chatfield's. This will be closer than the seating suggests, but I have Ralston winning 42-31. to In my original bracket, I had Ralston really beating down Fairview 42 to 26, but I think this game will be a little bit closer than that. I see Ralston probably winning this game by the same score that Chatfield potentially won by 28 to 20. Now for the last game of the second round here, Rock Canyon at Columbine. This is at Jeffco Stadium off of 6th and Kipling, 11 slash 11 at 7 p.m. So for this game here, look, Columbine was and is the Rock Canyon before Rock Canyon was and with their health issues being absolved by a bye week, potentially Columbine may be stronger than ever. I'm going to rock with Columbine. In my original bracket, I had Columbine winning this game 28 to 10. Now, Simon says, quote, Columbine was dominating Cherokee Trail for most of the playoff game, but did allow a couple points too many in the fourth. Columbine will treat Rock Canyon to a dose of their own medicine. With a week to get healthy, Columbine will look to match and exceed Rock Canyon's physicality. It may not be pretty, but Columbine should win. And here for Gideon to wrap up our 5A here, he says, quote, a rested and healthy Columbine team is one to be reckoned with. Mark Wayne Taylor and Josh Schneider are at insanely good running backs, and they can carry the offensive load for this team. The problem is if they can stay healthy. When I watched the Rebels at Fort Collins, starters in the front seven were going down every other play. Ian Turner and Daxton Wood are good, but there's only so much they can do if they get hurt. Rock Canyon, on the other hand, I am less familiar with, but they are really solid. They scraped out a 23-20 win over Cherokee Trail Squad, who has one of the top punters in the state. And if you know what it takes to get attention as a punter, that's not good. And they've lost to teams both better and worse than Columbine. They lost to Vista, Valor, and Thunder Ridge. I see a world where an injured Columbine loses, but a healthy Columbine wins 28-14. And that is our 5A playoff predictions and basically this episode. With all that being said, best of luck to all the teams, 1 through 5A. And, you know, if you uh, prove us wrong on our predictions, please do. Uh, Just recall that we're just doing our best to cover you, and our intentions are for you guys. And, yeah, we love to be proven wrong, but you don't have to be kind of horrible about it. But anyways, that does it for this episode of Playmakers Corner, episode 211 here, as we do that recap, week 11 recap and you know look forward to more playoff action and also on fridays we've been releasing our award episodes here which is 1a last week go ahead and listen to that one that was episode 210 very good episode and look ahead to our polls as we release them on fridays along with the episode but we release the polls for the next classification so you know this week on friday we're gonna have 2a awards as well as all playmaker lists 
and we have set rosters on that. We go ahead and explain that on the episode. So tune into that. We have 2A awards coming out on this Friday. And then we have polls for the 3A classification. The awards we do, newcomer of the year, which goes to the freshman of the year for that year. We always have four candidates, defensive playmaker of the year, offensive playmaker of the year, and most valuable playmakers. So please stay tuned for those, as well as weekly recaps that will always come out on Tuesday. Coaches, if you could get those stats in, that would significantly help us as we cannot be at every single high school football game, contrary to popular belief. In order to get announcements for all of our latest episodes, go ahead and find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook on Playmakers Corner, at Playmakers Corner, or Twitter, at Playmaker Corner. That's where our polls are as well, if you would like to participate in the votes there for the fan vote on all of our Twitter polls. Additionally, if you want to check out highlights from any of the games that we go to, go ahead and check us out at Playmakers Corner on TikTok as well, where we're posting weekly highlights, and now they will start having playoff games in the mix of those highlight reels. If you are listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Anchor, and prefer one of the other ones that I listed, go ahead and find us on there, and go ahead and ding the little notifications, like, or follow us on any of those platforms, so you get notifications when all of the latest episodes come out. We're also on YouTube, posting episodes and highlights on there, Playmakers Corner as well. So go ahead and find us, like us, follow us, do all of that. We appreciate all your support here at the pod. And until next time, I've been your host, Cody Stoffer, and peace.